Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz do it. They win again. And they win again comfortably. They beat the Philadelphia 76ers 118-96. They had a little lead at the half. They extended in the third quarter. And by the middle of the fourth quarter, once again, the game was pretty much over. It was textbook. Go out there. Figure out what they're trying to do, how their rotations are going to be, how they're going to match up with you, see what wrinkles they've thrown in, and still lead at the half. And then at halftime, man, if there were any questions, figure out whatever has to be figured out and go out and take them apart. And that's what the Jazz did. They win 118-96, another remarkably comfortable win. If you want to say, well, they won because, well, there's there's a lot of stuff to look at. I mean, they won because they dominated the backboards, 52 to 34. They won because they outshot them, 47 to 43 percent. They won because they shot the three better, 37 percent to 18 percent. The Jazz won because they had eight guys and double figures. I mean, you can just go down the line, just one stat after another, and. If you don't even look at the numbers, they just passed the eyeball test. First quarter, Philly scored and scored pretty easily. And then suddenly Philly's putting up 22-point quarters and they're getting played right off the court. So the Jazz win again. That's six in a row. They were back-to-back. They were on the road. They were playing in different time zones. They had to fly from Minnesota to Philadelphia, and none of that mattered. I guess you can say they didn't dominate as thoroughly as they did in Minnesota. But I would tell you, well, Minnesota isn't as good a team as Philadelphia. So... 118-96. I mean, you just you just keep winning road games by 20 and 30 points. Uh, there's not much to complain about. So I think the question now for the Jazz is they've gotten into a zone. They've gotten real comfortable. Uh, they're they're playing well at both ends of the court. They're minimizing their turnovers. They're not getting hammered on the offensive backboards. And I really think teams have to do that to beat them. I don't think. A lot of teams can just come down and match the Jazz possession for possession. So they need second chances, or they, they need to beat Rudy Gobert down the floor. They need to score in transition because they don't want to deal with Rudy in the half court. Or if they have to deal with Rudy in the half court, they need second chances because he's going to impact the first one. Maybe he'll alter the shot or whatever, and you got to go get the rebound and get something easier and put it in. If you're not... If you're not getting to the free throw line, if you're not scoring in transition, if you're not scoring second-chance points, oh, it's beating the Jazz go way down. So now the question is, you get in the zone, how long can you stay in it? Team's playing really well. There's a lot of attention to detail, but it's the NBA. There are a lot of games. They come fast and furious. You get tired. You get sick. You get distracted. You start thinking, hey, you know, I can go 80 or 90%. I have to go 100% to do this. You lose your edge, and the streak snaps. It's an old story. Lots of teams have been through it. It's happened with lots of players, generations of players, and it'll happen again in the future. And the key is, how long can you keep yourself from slipping into that? I mean, you got to give it to the Warriors and to the Suns because they've come out of the gate great, and they have played great ball, and they have not slid into that. So now the Jazz are going to need to do it for a while. And wait for these other teams to hit a tough spot in their schedule or to be shorthanded or to lose their edge and play a few bad games, whatever the story may be, so they can catch them. I don't think it's so much about home court. I think it's more about matchups, and whoever is first will have to play a very hard series to get out of the West. But if you're second or third, you'll have to play two very hard series to get out of the West. And assuming that the final isn't a walkover, man, if you're second and third, you are looking at three very difficult 
series. You were looking at possibly playing three of the best four teams in the NBA, and that would be six grueling weeks. So if you can get to first and give yourself an easier path, seems like that would be the smart move. That's still too difficult series and still a month of hard basketball. There's no easy way to make uh, to get to an NBA title, but why make it harder on yourself? So that'll be the race, and we've got about two thirds of the season still to go. So we'll see how these teams uh, we'll see how these teams handle it. Jazz get the win. They're off tonight because you don't play three games in a row in the NBA, but they will play three games in four days. They will play Saturday in Washington, and then they'll come home and get a little bit of downtime. So we'll see how they do Saturday against the Wizards. But the Jazz roll 118-96, to and the big guys get it done. Rudy Gobert had 17 points and 21 boards. And Hassan Whiteside had 14 and 10. And I would say one other thing that caught my eye in this game, Mike Conley played back-to-back. Only 24 minutes in Minnesota, and then 25 against Philly. And he was one of the eight guys in double figures. Royce O'Neal was the only regular rotation guy who didn't get to double figures. And, you know, his job is to defend the other team's best scorer, and he still had seven points on five shots. So Jazz have it going right now. Uh, the NFL football game, Minnesota gets the win. They beat Pittsburgh. The Steelers are back to 500, six wins, six losses, and that tie with Detroit. Minnesota 6-7, and seven, which in the NFC puts you right on the edge, right on the edge of the playoffs. Both these teams are on the edge of the playoffs looking out, um, on the outside looking in, but they're right there at the edge. Uh, Minnesota was up 23-0 at halftime, 29-0 in the third quarter, and they nearly blew it. The game ended with them up by eight, but Pittsburgh throwing the ball into the end zone, looking for a touchdown and a two to tie it up. They had gotten a touchdown and a two. They'd been down 16, and they got a touchdown and a two with about four minutes ago, got the ball back, got close, but couldn't get it in the end zone. Still would have needed a two just to get to overtime. Heck of a comeback from 29-0 and lose 36-28. But the Steelers... And the days of the Steel Curtain are long gone. They cannot stop the run. They are one of the worst teams in the NFL against the run. And they gave up uh, 205 yards to Dalvin Cook, who also scored twice. I think he had 130 yards rushing at halftime, something like that. Just, just run the ball on the Steelers. Man, that was just way too easy. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we had Chris Hill in the studio for an hour yesterday, Utah Athletic Director. Um, basically talk to him about the long climb. He gets hired in 1987 as athletic director, and now 34 years later, they've gone from the middle or the bottom of the whack to the Mountain West, to the Pac-12, to the Rose Bowl. It's been a heck of a climb. A new football stadium, a new football facility, a second new football facility. Uh, there's there've been a lot of pieces to the puzzle. Three great coaching hires. Uh, so we talked to him for a long time. You can hear the whole, wherever you get podcasts, you can listen to the whole thing. It was, uh, you know, do the four-hour show. So it was from the middle of the third hour to the middle of the fourth hour. He was on from 830 to 930. Uh, we are going to play one of those segments coming up next. Chris Hill, stay with us. DJ and PK, then we'll get to the best of the postgame show. Right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Prepping for the holidays, Zero Res can help you clean up before and after the festivities. Keep your carpets clean well into 2022. Give Zero Res a jingle by calling 801-288-9376 or book it online at zeroresaltlake.com or if you're up north at zeroresdavisweber.com. All right, we've been talking with uh, Chris Hill, memory lane stuff as the Utes build uh, over the course of 30 or 35 years from the uh, middle or bottom of the whack to the Rose Bowl. And so uh, I guess your, your plans for the Rose Bowl here. Oh, you kidding me? I get to, this is going to be my favorite bowl. The rest of the bowls, I had to uh, 
had to work and worry and all that stuff. Now I just get I got 24 tickets we bought. Uh, you know, my brother's coming from New Jersey for like a 24 hour visit, and <laughs> you know, I just it's just going to be fun. I'm just going to have pure fun. Root for the Utes. You know, they fumble like and bitch a little bit and do this and do that. <laughs> and, uh, but I, it, it feels so good to be, have been a part of it. You know, I mean, it's not me. It's all the way along the line. We are talking earlier. Everybody in the staff bought in to mm-hmm. the steps we were going to make. We had to look each other in the eye and say, all right, we're going to beat BYU at least two or three times out of five years. You know, and that today now said, oh, is that your goal? I said, no. At that point in time, that was a realistic thing. Mm-hmm. If we realistic to put that as a goal, you know, and well, you know, BYU helped us a lot because of their facilities and the passion for our people trying to. And then we got into Pac-12, and then it became nuts. For sure, you know, it went crazy. It was great crazy. I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I look forward to being down there in Pasadena. To me, you know, I, I used to work in the LA market, so I have experience with the Rose Bowl. But and I've said this for years for for you fans, if you can afford it, because I don't discount the oh, cost. Oh, it's expensive, it's right? Like, and, oh. and, yeah, and so I don't I don't make light of that because I didn't grow up with much money. I'm doing fine now, but back then, uh, certainly not as a kid. So uh, the overwhelming amount of pride you're going to have for university mm-hmm. when you see that team run out of that tunnel, yeah. it's going to be. I was there. I saw your eyes when you watched 50,000 people pour into Sun Devil Stadium. I was yeah. looking right at you, yeah, yeah. you and Liz Abel, and you, both of you were beaming, mm-hmm. as you should have been, because it was an incredible sight. And uh, Sun Devil Stadium is right next to heaven. I think it's so high up, so you've got that. And you can see people you know, feeding well, into the Well, once a year, there's a good game there, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> nice. Bingo. Nice. <laughs> I'll let you have that. Um, but I think this is going to oh. supersede anything. And the amount of pride that this university is going to have when that team runs out there in the Rose Bowl with what I call the San Gabes in the background. And God's a Rose Bowl fan because it's always 65, 70 degrees oh, that day. I think people move from the East Coast to the West Coast because of the Rose Bowl. You turn it on, you'd be freezing. <laughs> Tell them the story, DJ. Yeah. He's <laughs> 10 years old, and he looks at that, and he's like, it's the middle of the afternoon. The sun is out right. at 70 degrees. They take a shot. Everybody's in shirt sleeves. Yeah. Everybody's smiling. I can't go out because if I shoot baskets in the driveway. I'm growing up in Morris County, New Jersey. Yeah, if he shoots yeah. baskets in the driveway. Way. The ball's wet. His fingers are icy. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just it's like that's heaven. What am I doing here? Later in life, I'm getting there. I'm ten I'm years old, there. Chris, and I literally had that thought in Persephone, yeah. New Jersey, thinking there's a place like that in our country. Yeah, that I can go to. I'm going. Yeah. Well, it, you know, you weren't the Long Ranger, and you know, it's uh, you know one of those things where one of the guys when we went to the championship, the Final Four. I, you, you, tradition has it that you'll call a couple ads before there and said, "Hey, what what'd you do? What were the big things?" They said, "Make sure you do one thing: go on that court, take a breath, and look around because it's pretty cool." <laughs> and I can't wait to go to Rose Bowl mm-hmm. and just sit there and watch the team come out and say. This is us. You got to I mean, feel a sense of pride because you played a significant factor in this. You're not there now, yeah. but you're still there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm st- now. I think I'm the grandfather of the group. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it feels good. But it's. You know, I hope you guys don't take it as me patting myself on the back. It's just, you know, so much everybody and so much. But it was fun. I mean, there were a lot of risks along the way, but at the same time, we had really good people, good coaches all the time. 
and good support from everybody. And that coaching thing going forward, Kyle's not going to be there forever, and the goal is to have a program that is competing each year. And you look at it, I think I totaled it up, since the Utes have been in the Pac-12, just the South Division, Count and Lincoln Riley's had 21 coaches, and Utah's had one. So 21 to 1. and But there's going to be a time here at some point in the future, whether it's near or the next whatever years, when Kyle Whittingham steps aside. I, I think that if the program's in a good spot, which I anticipated being, that you need a Utah guy in there. Because Kyle, when he took that job, and I talked to him that night mm-hmm. of that uh, BYU-Utah yeah. thing. I was on the phone with him yeah. and going back and forth. And, and I actually said, man, I think you, you're you a Utah guy. And uh, he ended up obviously doing what he did. Uh, I think they should go in that same direction so you're not getting in a situation of what Oregon's in. Oregon's a premier national program. But what would you say, DJ? Four, Four coaches in 10 years, five coaches in 15. Mm-hmm. Bilotti had a 14-year run. But since then... Wow. Three coaches have done four years. Helfrich got fired. The other two took off after their four years. Yeah. So, so what's your thought on that? Well, you know, um, <laughs> this is going to sound... So, whoever you hire, are they really good? Yeah, that's the question. That's the leader. That's priority number and, and one. I For think, sure. Yeah. And I think, and I'm, I'm not saying this any other way, if somebody from within is the best, go do that uh, and do it quickly. Uh, but if you still think there's things out there. You, you need the best coach. I always felt that, um, you know, I told you where I'm from, and, you know, I, I'm the antithesis of Salt Lake City, but it didn't take me long to integrate myself there, and I wasn't a Utah guy by even close. I didn't know whether Colorado or Utah, which one was further east and west <laughs> and all that stuff when I came out here. So I, I, uh, I'm kind of, you know, I know a lot of guys in the staff, and you know who we're talking about. I don't want them to feel like, I don't think that should happen, but just make sure that you feel this is the best coach. Right, but I, I and make think them stay. Do what you can to make them stay. See, I think that necess- not necessarily the best coach is the best coach for Utah. Right. Does that oh, make yeah. sense? Oh, yeah. It makes total sense. We have a formula for recruiting. So I, I, I agree with you. I mean, uh, so I'm kind of uh, playing both sides of the fence, which I think you do with coaching because you don't know who the people are. And I, having been in the business so long, I'm always so sensitive about people's names and stuff being thrown out there because it can ruin people's career. The formula you know? for recruiting, I think, is yeah. really important. That's so important. And, and we haven't gone into stuff players. that's gone wrong in the last 30 years. We're staying very positive oh, okay. here today. Oh, yeah. There, well, that's there was, just me. But the, but the stuff that went wrong with, ba- with <laughs> basketball, <laughs> okay. But with basketball, Rick had a formula, and I don't think anybody's really tried to re- recreate that formula. And he had a really specific formula, and it worked. Well, uh, you, knew, you know, he was a savant. People always ask yeah. who was better, Whittingham or uh, Urban or Majerus, and I don't know the answer to that to this day. Majerus. What was more fun working with, that's an easy <laughs> question to answer. Majerus's problem is he was too smart. I tell you what, and you say his formula. I, I don't know his formula. He, had, he could go over... I know this is about football, so we'll be real quick. He could go over every single play in the game. But as every it was a play. projector. If it, he, yes. He had yes. a projector. I would sit there in the press room. In my early days, I would try to question him it, but then he'd be on like, I'd miss like the next seven plays because I'm trying to recall one. And it was like he was looking at a film of the game, and the rest of us were looking at the wall. His mind was yeah, just off th- the This charts. applies to all sports. And I, I've told everybody this define everybody's role. He was ruthless with that. What do you mean I'm not a three-point? Well, he made Drew Hansen feel like when he set a screen for Keith Van Horn that he was a better player than Keith. You know, and a lot of coaches 
don't really do that as much because that makes for good team play. You're not sitting there saying, well, if I go to a game off the bench and I go three for three, three, three I'm going to now be the star. No, not with Rick. No, no, not no. with Rick. And so that's the same thing in football. I think I think Kyle's been a good job at taking people from the offense, put them on defense or vice, and they know their role. And then there's camaraderie. There's not, And so I don't know if you can do that again now in certain places. You know, we were talking off the air. What, what do you mean I'm not, not going to play if I don't play defense? you got to be kidding me. They call their AAU coach and say, well, let's get in a portal if they're going to make yeah, it. Defense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to be kidding. It's Allen Iverson. You're talking defense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think it's hard. I don't know. Rick couldn't have survived in these days, I don't think, because, you know, so yeah, I had for another, a lot of reasons. <laughs> I had another member of the media tell me that for a lot, not for every coach, but for a lot of coaches, both football and basketball, that the combination of the transfer portal and the NIL – they're just going to be like, no. What do you mean? They're not going to want coach? I'm, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. I think people that have made their mark, made their money, right. they're going to say, you know, this is crazy. And mm-hmm. and I, I think the portal's more um, uh, uprooting things than actually the NIL. I really do. The portal's more disruptive. Mm-hmm. I think so. Because the NIL, I mean, you're going to get guys that can make a lot of money and this and that. but And they say people are going to cheat. But, you know, now it's just out in the open. You know, it's nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no question. And we all know stories of cheating. Uh, looking from the Pac-12 perspective of the football playoff, what do you think will benefit the Pac-12 the most with any type of change to the playoff format? Uh, the, the, at league championships, league champions have to go. Autom- automatic. That's it. Whatever form they come up with, that's what the Pac-12 needs. And so, how many of that? Five? Uh, five right now, yeah. So and they could grow. I've heard two plans. One is 12-team playoff. The, and the original plan was the six highest-ranked league champs, and then the next six teams, regardless of I'm, whether they're I'm champs or not. But now it's 12, the Power 5, 1G5, and the next six. I think there's only one season where there's an example of two G5s get in front of a Power 5 and squeezing out, and that's last year when Oregon, off of five or six-game schedule, as a second-place team in division, Washington can't go, and then Oregon wins the game. Yeah. So it seems yeah. like there's very little risk to the Power Fives, and yet they're unwilling to take it. Is it really good for college football to have a Power Five and a G5? Wouldn't it just be better? Just, I mean, it's realistically because of money. That's how well, it's going to be uh, most uh, of the time is, anyway. Yeah, the, the, pro- the problem is that basketball's regular season means nothing now. And so uh, football, if you... Winning the league championship doesn't mean something in November. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, there's all the other bowl games you go to, but you know, I feel I don't think they're motivating factors to go to some, you know, weed eater something bowl. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but it could diminish the regular season if you don't have the hope of winning your league championship means you go to the biggest of bigs. Mm-hmm. I think it can enhance the regular season because then you can have you don't need to worry about going. Uh, three and zero, oh. so you could potentially. I mean, I know for confidence sake, play tougher issue. teams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the non-conference exactly what I can do. be a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right now, I, I think they're doing a good job of playing tougher teams right now because you know they're playing a couple of non-conferences. But it's a sensitive thing. But if your league champion can be guaranteed to go to one to the playoff. You play anybody you want. I agree. I anybody think they got to go that. They got to go that. Is yeah. uh, is Utah at a point now? You were talking earlier about how Chris Hill joined us, former Utah athletic director. That when you went into the Pac-12, you wanted three games where, in a bad year, you're two and one, but mm-hmm. in most years, you're three and zero. Right. That's exactly. And that's how you set it up for a decade. Mm-hmm. But now there's a home and home with Florida. Yeah. And BYU is on the verge of being a Big Twelve opponent here. Mm-hmm. Not 
you know, by the time they come mm-hmm. back on the schedule, they will be. And there's been talk of this alliance, so I don't know if they're going to keep an SEC game with Arkansas or if that's going to end up evaporating. Mm-hmm. And they're going to play a Big Ten or ACC opponent. Is the program at a place where that's okay and manageable, that everyone's going to be playing 10 quote-unquote Power 5 opponents? Yeah, as, as long as you have a chance to win your league and go. But if you don't, if you're, if you're a Pac-12 school and you lose a non-conference game, I think Oregon did that a year ago or a couple years, Two years ago. ago yeah. and, and you, you know, is anybody going to go through nine league games undefeated? No one has. So yet. then you got yeah. a two-loss Pac-12 team going against a two-loss SEC team. You're never going to win that, you know. So the the reality is, oh, you're, you're talking that. about the, the from the committee standpoint. Yeah, I, I skipped two paragraphs on that. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Okay, thank you. And so. Uh, you know, now it's if they can do that, you can play anybody. And, right. and you know, mentioned I'm. This sounds really strange. I am really glad BYU's in the Big Twelve, really, because it makes it just better. You know, for us, with uh, there's no brainer now scheduling because they're in the same deal. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. And, and you know that that's really good. They're they're going to have their league schedule when they have it. They're going to open. You know, so uh, although I know they missed somebody the year they play Florida. But being in the Big 12, uh, I'm biased because I love the Pac-12 and the cities we play and all that stuff. And I don't want to go to Lubbock and all those I places. But I, I think that really helps the whole uh, anxiety in the state sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's a... If you have to cut off anything, you might want to do that. <laughs> I hope, somehow I'm no, just no, that makes sense. I'm 0 for 20 when I talk about another school. No, it's <laughs> I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm in last place. The thing we've learned talking about Utah and BYU is that if you say something about positive about one school, you're going to get blasted by the other fan base. And if you say something negative about a school, then you're going to get blasted by that fan base. Right. So if you talk about the Jazz, possibly. Possibly, you can say something that'll make you positive, make it make the audience feel positively about you. Right. But yeah. if you're talking about Utah and BYU, somebody's <laughs> he didn't say anything that wasn't some, right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. But yeah. you know, oh yeah, it's, somebody's going to say, "What are you doing? We had it right where yeah, we yeah. wanted it, Chris." Happy. Yes. You know. So yes. Exactly. So it's kind of one where I, I decided that I have a I have a learning disability with talking <laughs> well, about that topic. If you're going to play them, and then if you should happen to lose to them, well, it's, it's not a, that big of a deal. Right. Bingo. They're on the same level. Yeah. And, and, and if you beat that, them, it's a bigger deal because they're on the same level. Yeah, but that makes people angry when you say which level somebody said. Yeah. If all of a sudden you're playing, so well, it's at a lower level. Oh my God, the phone goes off the hook. You know. Yeah, yeah, I know, but yeah. you got to look at it realistically. There's got to be some truth involved. Yeah, but anyway, but it's you know it's a you know been an interesting interesting ride that's for sure, and you know I'm pleased that when you leave someplace you want it to be better and keep going. You did, and, and that's really you know I think that's the mark of what you can feel good about, and I'm talking about all the people I work with. You know, you mentioned Liz and you know the Marsdens with their all adds up. To like, you know, uh, and, and maybe maybe a step further because doing live shots for TV and doing post game shows when I was doing radio at UC Santa Barbara, you see how many people break an arena down after a game, like the number of people that it takes to do this day in and day out, and the people who aren't front facing, but they still got to be good. I mean, you yeah. walk into some place and an arena or a stadium isn't set up right, and there's a problem. Oh yeah, it makes the school look small time, like they don't know what they're doing. So yeah. 
your, did a great your job name and faces out there. We did a great job coaches. at that. We, yeah. we, I can say that because I have no. I sat across from the bench in basketball because if the fa- if the if the scoreboard went out, I was the last guy to know what to do. And but we, I had so much confidence. So I just said, "Hey, just do a great job, and and we'll move on." So uh, it, it, we had to do, all, and that's part of the thing we did when we were uh, growing up to get in that league is that we decide, you know, I got on a lot of committees, got to know people, and we said every time a school comes in here, we want them to leave saying, man, that's as good a game management as I've ever seen. Sure. You know, and uh, you can do that. The things we could do didn't take as much money as people think. Right. You know, and uh, so so many things that add up. It's it's just been a blast. I was thinking of something else, but I can't remember it right now. So, and I'm allowed to do that now. (laughs) 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 I don't have to worry about what I'm selling or what I'm doing or what happens, you know, I, you know. All right, well, have fun on the trip to Pasadena. I you got extended family and friends, so and yeah. uh, and you got a you got a guy on the job now, Mark Harlan, who's got to go all the meetings, and uh, you can just put on a shirt and tie and go to a dance and a gala while everybody's out having a good time. Yep. So you can go you know, to the beach. But I I, I want to thank you guys for wanting to do this. Uh, it was enjoyable for me, and uh, all the way along the way, I want to thank all the people I work with, all the coaches, all that stuff, all the fans. Uh, you know, because that. It was all the deal. Everybody, the bandwagon was small, and the bandwagon kept growing. And Did. you can't grow. You can't get on the bandwagon yourself and make it grow. All right. One more thing before I let you go. Sure. PK and I talk about this, and then people tell we're nuts. I know, Yak. Sorry. I'll just apologize in advance. We're going way late here. Um, but we talk about other pro teams coming to town. People would be very excited to get Major League Baseball here. Mm-hmm. Recently, there was talk about the NFL. I don't think it'll ever happen because I don't think anybody wants to pay mm-hmm. for the stadium. But right. whatever. If it did, whatever. How big an impact would that have on not just Utah, but all the college programs? Because I look at the Pac-12, you know, Denver and Phoenix and L.A. and the San Francisco Bay Area all have all four of the major sports. Some of them have multiple teams. Seattle has three of the four major sports. Would another pro team have a negative impact just because there's only so many people, there's so many season ticket holders, there's so much money? Is part of the magic of this place that it's bigger than Tucson, it's bigger than Pullman, it doesn't have all the pro teams. Is that part of the magic of college Absolutely. sports? Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, that's part of the magic. And you go up to Ute game, you say, "I'll never forget." Lavelle Edwards said to me once. He said, "I said, what, what was your career? What did you feel most about?" He says, "I made Saturdays important in Provo. Yeah, and Saturdays are important in Utah right now, and mm-hmm. everybody had a part of it. So I, I if saying this a hundred times, but I don't want this to be about me. I was involved a lot and all that stuff, but it was a." Uh, so many people along the way. And I don't say that to be corny or anything. That's just the way it is. I can think of so many times where people lifted me up off the deck and said, Chris, you can't do that. <laughs> you, you better not yeah. do that or you'll get killed. So yeah. anyway, but it takes thanks a, to everybody. Yeah. It yeah. takes a lot of people to pull the rope and, and, and drag everything to the top of the hill. Yeah. It takes a lot of people yeah. pulling on the rope. Absolutely. Chris, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming in. Enjoy. There is Chris Hill. You can hear all three segments with Chris. There's one of them, but you can hear all three of them wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Uh, It's all there. Uh, He was in yesterday's show. When we come back, the best of the postgame show as the Jazz blow out the Sixers in Philly. That's next. Stay with us. The Utah Jazz dominate the 76ers in Philly and win 118-96. Let's get to the best of the postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz remain red hot. They win their sixth consecutive game. They beat the Philadelphia 76ers 118 
to 96. Eight jazz players were in double figures last night. That's right, eight, led by Donovan Mitchell on 22 points and six assists. Rudy Gobert, 17 points, 21 rebounds, two block shots, another monster effort from Rudy. Bogdanovich had 14. Mike Conley with 10. Rudy Gay with 10 coming in off the bench. Hassan Whiteside with a double-double, 14 points, 10 boards. He had two block shots. Jordan Clarkson with 11. Joe Ingles with 11 to go along with seven assists. Another very nice game from uh, Joe Ingles. He played well uh, against Minnesota as well. So let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Yeah. Uh, Rudy and Hassan had great, great nights, um, especially on the boards. What were they doing that made them so effective? Well, I think a big part of the game for us was, you know, not fouling and just trusting each other. And, you know, they – they did an excellent job, you know, staying between Joel and the basket. And, you know, he was, you know, he made some shots the first quarter that you're just not going to be able to defend against. Um, but I thought, to, to be honest with you, I know, you know, those two guys, you know, we can point at and, and talk about, but I, I felt like it was the rest of our group defensively that really, um, I was impressed with just the communication, you know, guys digging in, making plays, having pride. And this game is kind of in, inverted from um, some of the games we've, uh, we've had before where, you know, our bigs are really protecting the rim. And in this game, you know, Mike and Don and Royce and Boyan, Joe, Jordan, Rudy Gay, you know, all those guys did their job and they protected our bigs. But how did you build up the energy that you guys had? I think, you know, I think they, you know, you go through, you know, the, the ebb and flow of the season and uh, sometimes you just, you decide not to be tired. And I think when you're playing the right way, that, that makes it easier, you know, to have, I don't know, we had eight guys in double figures, um, you know, everybody's involved, the ball's moving. Certain guys obviously are, you know, are playmakers, and you see that, but you know that again. You point to the defense as something. If we can defend, you know that that makes us, you know, a much better team in transition because we can get out and take advantage of some of the skill that we have. You bench play, you bench play, especially four players in the bench as well offensively. And back to back, how big is that for this team? It's important, especially you know Hassan when Rudy got in foul trouble early. I thought. You know, when he came in, really stabilized, um, you know, and uh, Rudy Gay also, I thought, on the defensive end, just his size on the glass. Um, and then, you know, Joe and JC always play well off each other. Uh, so I think guys are patient uh, and, you know, very focused on making the right play. And that bench group, when they do that, you know, there's a lot of guys that are capable of, of making plays. So the fact that we're sharing the ball like that is really good. And I thought, you know, early on the game, Donovan was, you know, they're back in pick and roll and Rudy's getting hits and, you know, he's taking those threes off the dribble. Mike's doing the same thing. And um, that's what we need to do. And then, you know, be patient that you know, teams have to, you know, at times adjust to that and then it opens it up for other people. But, Sometimes that patience is, is hard to have. And, um, you know, we were patient and we defended at the same time. So um, I thought that was true of the bench when they came in. They played the same way. First time I've seen this team, but in terms of, you know, stuff like this, 
is it one thing, several things right now with our team? With our team? Yes. You know, I, I, I think the there's a kind of a preconception that when, you know, Rudy Gay being the, the one guy that, you know, in our rotation right now that wasn't with us last year. I shouldn't say that. Hassan as well. Um, and there's this idea that you bring everybody back and you're the same team and that you have continuity. And it's not necessarily the case. Um, it, it takes time to develop that. You know, you go through a summer and everybody has whatever experiences they have and you come back. And I think that was different last year because the bubble kind of carried over. That was like one long season. And in this case, um, whatever kind of pre-existing expectations there are internally, um, it takes time for guys to kind of get to know each other again and, and uh, you know, play together again. So I think that's what's happening with this group. Uh, you know, there's been some games that, you know, we didn't play well. And, you know, those are things we've looked at and, you know, tried to figure out, you know, what we can do different, what we can do better. And, um, it's a long season. You know, I, I think our goal is as much as anything is to continue to improve. So, you know, we played well tonight. We're not a finished product. You know, don't want to get too high or too low. Um, we just want to keep getting better. We talked a lot before the season about Donovan picking up things on the defensive end. Mm -hmm. We talked more about it since the season started. Mm -hmm. But it looks like he has. What does that look like to you? Like, what is it that you see from him on the defensive that makes you think, like, this is, okay, now he's gone up a different level? You, you, there's a couple things tonight that maybe illustrated where, um, one, he has to take a matchup when Mike goes out of the game. Um, the way that he guarded, you know, a couple you know, plays that they're very, very good at executing, you know, two-man game with Curry and a beat and pick and roll. Um and Donovan just being focused on that end as much as anything, you know, either taking someone out of a play or you know, just executing defensively. And maybe the, the thing that I see the most is when it doesn't happen and he does have a breakdown. He's like the first one to acknowledge that, Hey, I got to do better. And that, that shows you, you know, his mentality and you know, that, that, that manifests itself a lot of ways. It's a little off topic, but six different ones that are throwing numbers to have to go now, right? Um, you're one of the few that are one of the teams that have it. Are you guys doing anything to kind of avoid that or to, is that just forget that? Well, you know, I, I think we're doing what the league is asking everyone to do. And, you know, as we all know, you, you can be vaccinated, you can be boosted. Um, there's breakthrough situations. Um, you know, ho hopefully we don't have one. Hopefully when it does happen that, you know, the players, the staff, everybody, you know, that the symptoms, you know, aren't severe. Um, it's, it's, it's something, you know, we, all of us need to continue to be aware of, you know, whether it's the Delta variant or the Omicron, or, I mean, it's just, it's a, there's nothing, it's fluid the whole situation. So I don't know there, there's anything that we can do about it except try to, you know, abide by the things that, that we know can, can help. And, and as you said, if, you know, if we happen to be one of the unlucky ones, you know, you deal with that when it comes, but, you know, as far as anything, we, you know, we were on the front line when it first broke out and, uh, 
you know, I think our guys do have an awareness of everything, but we're just, you know, to a certain degree, there's only so much you can control. And, you know, the, our focus has to be on the game and then you know, put your mask on, you know, do what you need to do and um, try to do the best job you can and hope that, you know, the whole league, you know, benefits from that and is safe, but also understanding that, you know, it can happen. You know, what we do internally with the virus and, and our protocols and stuff is, is really, to me, um, private might not be the right word, but, you know, I think everybody, you know, is doing the things that they can do. There's Coach Quinn Snyder. His team wins 118 to 96. Uh, let's now get to the players. Let's get to Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside, who uh, came out for their media availability together. For me personally, I just feel like um, I, I was feeling a lot better, you know, as far as coming off like my glute injury. You know, I just felt better coming in and, you know, I just was watching the way the game was playing out. Oh, Rudy, obviously the stuff from Minnesota players said, how much did you hear and how much did that impact today? Uh, I wouldn't say it impacted me. You know, it's, it's not the first time uh, that people take shots at me for no reason. Um, you know, I come in every single night to be to, to have my team win and to be the best really I can be. And, uh, you know, I never take shots at anyone. <laughs> you know, I receive a lot of shots. I don't take shots at anyone. I just focus on myself. And uh, I think it's just, you know, when you're, the, when you're the best in the world or something, like, people become insecure and they try to um, discredit what you do in some kind of ways. Uh, you know, but it, it's going to happen. It's not, the, it's not the first time. It's not the last time. And, uh, you know, I just you know, keep being rooted, keep being myself, and uh, keep being better every single night. That's that. Is it weird when you hear about something like that happening just because, I mean, it's... It, you guys win a game by 32, and then it seems to like come out of nowhere. I mean, it's more funny than anything, you know. Uh, I mean, it's just funny, uh, you know. But it's part of it, you know. It's once again, like it's, you know, we're gonna try to discredit what I do, what we do as a team. Uh, it's been the same my whole career, you know. Uh, just gonna keep winning more the trophies, and then you know, hopefully, get my help my team win uh, something bigger than that. And they're still gonna have something to say. So you know, it's it's part of it. It's part of the game, and uh, you know, uh, I stay in my lane. I don't take shots at anyone, and I'm gonna keep doing that. You know, and uh, just keep keep having fun, keep having my team win basketball. Would you like to take a shot at Quinn for having you jar the wrong person? <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you want, you let loose right now. No, I told Queen, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm cool regarding anyone. Yeah. I, I trust the game plan. And uh, when you win by 30 points, the game plan is pretty good. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, some nights, you know, every, every night is different. You know, and uh, um, one people need to understand too is that it's uh, it's not a, we're not playing in the, in the pickup game in the park. Like, it's not a one on one game. When I'm, when I'm out there, like I'm, I'm not guarding one guy, I'm guarding the whole team. So it's uh, uh, it's hard to understand for some guys, you know, that they, they're used to just be able to impact like one guy at a time. But uh, I'm trying to impact the whole team, and, and teams are trying to prepare for that. 
every night. So we prepare for that as a team. And, uh, you know, I trust the coaching staff. Uh, you know, and uh, and uh, it's, it's fun. Hassan, why do you, just as someone who's played against Rudy a lot for so many years, why do you think so many players, I guess, have this negative connotation towards him and just have to take these shots? Um, I think this is because he's not really outspoken like that. You know, um, he just kind of, you know, he's not really saying anything back. You know, um, he took the high road a lot of times. You know, if, even um, if, even now, you know, he's a little different than me. You know, I would have said something back <laughs> for sure. Right, but but um, he's just taking a high road, and um, that's what that's what I think it is. You know, it's it's like the quiet guy in the classroom. You're gonna keep talking, trying to talk to him, and talk to him. You know. Just take until- yeah, yeah. He scored 12 points by yourself in the third quarter tonight. What was, you know, obviously when you had to go on when Rudy got the foul pedal. What was working for you so well during that stretch? Um, you know, uh, Joe, it was guys, Joe, Don, Mike, you know, them guys getting in the paint, you know, uh, they was finding me. And, you know, the, the, the shots I was missing early on, you know, they start going in a little more. You know, once I got kind of more used to the game speed and um, I was able to get a couple of offensive rebounds and um, get, a couple, get a couple of extra possessions for us. You guys talk all the time about being physical, about not letting teams take you out. Yeah, you, you feel like tonight was kind of an example of that, just with how dumb people are. I think teams are teams are really trying to be physical with us. So I you know it's, it's really important that we, we try to set the tone every night. And, uh, you know, I try. We try to remind the guys to go out and everyone, you know, to get to two, two ways of physicality because you know you see that that foul, they they, they, they foul in us really hard. And, you know, every night, especially when the, when the playoffs will come, like teams are gonna try to be physical with us. So we gotta be ready to match that. Okay. I think I think it's also a benefit that we have, you know, um not too many teams got got two guys that led the league in rebounds. You know, um and and, and that was and I was up there top five of rebounds multiple years, you know, and um, I think that's a that's a benefit towards our team and and uh, it really complements our depth. We've talked before about um, a few a few weeks ago maybe you guys were number one in the league in offensive rating, but several guys still said it doesn't feel quite like that. They are going involved in the game. Are you feeling like things are going on better now because Six game weeks, you guys are making 23s, everything stood out. Where do you feel like you're at? Uh, I think, you know, the, 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 like being, uh, it's great being the number one offense, but I think we, we don't want to really compare ourselves to other teams. We want to be the best Utah Jazz team we can be. And, and I think the way we play, uh, the way we move the ball is, is unique. And the number of weapons that we have on, on our team is unique. You know, you don't see it on teams that have. Uh, so many guys that can get 20 on, on a given night. And uh, tonight we got eight guys that score more than 10 points. You, know, you, you don't see that every night. So it's, you know, for us, it's just uh, you know, keep, keep getting better, uh, move the ball. And when we do that, we know that uh, we're way harder to game plan against, way harder to guard. And, and also, we better defensively because we see it's a whole other game. And for the playoffs, you want to be the, you want to be that team.
There you go. Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside. Both those guys had double-doubles. Rudy with 17 points and 21 boards. Hassan, 14 points, 10 rebounds. Both players had two block shots and both had monster nights as uh, Joel Embiid just could not get it going. He had 19 points. Joel did on 8 of 18 shooting. He also had uh, 9 rebounds. Uh, let's get uh, let's get some more sound. Let's now hear from Joe Ingles. Uh, so we talked a lot before the season started about uh, the need for Donovan to sort of ramp up his defensive level this year. And since then, we've talked a lot with Quinn, with other guys, and Donovan himself, that he has sort of raised his defensive level. For you, when you see Donovan and you think about that, what does that look like for him? What does he need to do and what has he been doing? Um, I mean, I, first, I think we all had to do that. I think we, we, we relied on probably Rudy and Royce to a certain extent as well, but, but obviously Rudy, what he does every night and, um, if you want to get further than we have in the past in the playoffs, like we can't just rely on Rudy or we can't rely on Royce to take every guard or every wing or Rudy to defend the best big or, or whatever we want to do defensively. So uh, I think obviously that's on, on all of us. Um, like Rudy was just saying offensively, like we rely on everybody to play the way we play. Um, and the same defensively, we, we, we all needed to better Donovan. Obviously, the amount he's out there, he's going to be matched up on different guys. He's going to have to play or defend some really good players at times. Um, and I think he's just taken the challenge of that. Everyone knows what he can do on the other end of the floor, and that's almost what he's known for. Um, but I think, I mean, he's got every attribute to be a really good defender. Um, some of it's... The concentration, some of us, whatever different things it is that, that can get him locked in. Um, I said the other day about him watching film, like it's that's that's a big part of it, knowing knowing who he's defending and stuff. So, um, like the other end of the floor, he, he's got better and better every year. Um, but I think yeah, just taking that ownership and um, kind of committing to it, really, like like we all have to and, and should be doing. <laughs> should be. So. Huge nights out for uh, Rudy and Hassan tonight. Yeah. Um, Quinn mentioned you know, beyond what those guys did, it's the fact that you know, there is Donovan on the perimeter, there's you, there's Mike. How much was kind of the balance between you know, what those guys are doing on the interior and what you guys are doing on the perimeter? Yeah, I mean, I again, kind of like what Rudy said, we, we rely on each other so much, obviously, the way we play. Um, we move the ball, we, we try and play. So we, we're not relying on one guy to ISO or, or watching one guy try and score 40. And if we don't, we're not going to win the game. We we had eight guys in double figures tonight. Um, obviously, there's going to be nights at Donovan or, or Mike or Boyan will, will have big nights. But um, I think, obviously, offensively what they did, but, but also defensively on, on Embiid and knowing what, what impact he makes on on that team and and the the ISOs what he does with um, getting everybody else shots but also getting his numbers and and stuff and I think those two guys did a an unbelievable job on that end and then obviously to run him and run the other way and and set the screens and obviously Embiid and Drummond were back a lot of the time I think Embiid blitz one time for the night so. Um, I don't know. I'm going to answer as many questions as I want and take as many. Yeah, they were great. Why do we think opposing players in the team the water. have that like respect for Rudy? You guys are the um, I don't know. I I talked about it with JJ obviously the other night or the other day. Um, I mean, I don't understand. Like it's 
even for Edwards to say that Porzingis is more intimidating in the ring is hilarious. Um, they obviously don't watch enough basketball. Um, maybe Porzingis blocked him one time or something. I don't know. It's I can't remember the word JJ used, but it was an amazing word. Befuddling, bef- bef- something like that. It was amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's bizarre to me. Um, obviously, we um, know what he does for us. You guys know the people that are around us a lot and see us play and understand basketball in like a real, like really understand. Well, it's like Draymond. Draymond had that interview the other day about defense. Um, same thing. Like if you understand what you're looking for, um, it's clear the impact he makes on that end of the floor. So um, we're not worried about guys worried about how we're matching up or how we're playing defensively because we know what is effective for us to, to, to win games. And there is Joe Ingles. Joe with seven assists last night to go along with uh, 11 points as he played very well. Jazz win 118-96 to over the Philadelphia 76ers. Next up for the Jazz, they'll be in uh, D.C. coming up tomorrow night to take on the Wizards. That game will tip off at 5. Pre-game coverage will begin at 4. There's the best of the post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Mike Conley playing, comes off a pick from Gobert for an off-the-bounce three and hits it. Conley drives, gives to Gobert for a slam dunk. Donovan off a Gobert pick into an open off-the-bounce three and hits. Donovan, another off-the-bounce three over Embiid and the same result. And Donovan's bobbleheading as he goes back the other way, having buried back-to-back threes and giving the Jazz a four-point advantage. Double stagger for Donovan. Comes off a Gobert pick for an off-the-bounce three and banks it in. The Utah Jazz do it again. Another big, comfortable win on the road, this time by 22 points, 118-96. Had a nice lead at halftime, pulled away in the third quarter, and blew it open in the fourth. Textbook, PK. Textbook? Textbook. Yeah, I used to like to buy them used, you know, save some money, and then hopefully they were underlined too. Oh, so always then, a key. Some good yeah. notes in the margins. You always know where the good stuff's at. Yeah, so, you know, try to do as little as possible. My kids aren't listening, although they've mastered that anyway. Uh, get out of that. Because, you, I mean, let's face it, if you got out of Arizona State with a diploma, that spoke for itself. Hmm. The Walter Cronkite School. Yeah. But I like that. Bobbleheading. He's bobbleheading. I'm bobbleheading right now. Yeah, we had a uh, general manager of the station used to call that something else. <laughs> he did. He did. <laughs> Neck expletiving. <laughs> He's not happy with the sales team. <laughs> I don't think he can say that. Yeah, well, you weren't in the meeting, DJ. He just did. <laughs> Several times. <laughs> Eight guys in double figures. Donovan led the way with 22. They're shooting the three. Not outrageously well, but Playing better. Playing the D. Oh, rhyming. Look at you go. <laughs> you are a rapper. 38% from three. They dominated the backboards. Offensive rebounding had been a problem. They'd been giving up too many points. They had 16. They only gave up six to Philly. They they won this game on, on multiple fronts. Well, mostly the scoreboard. That's the best one. <laughs> 
And Mike Smith did get in the uh, Israel Koyami Kamakamakamayalele. <laughs> you never sent it to me. Don't look at me. I forgot. No, that was why I hit myself in the forehead. Okay. Oh, I knew it was me. <laughs> Dang it. He texted me last night. I said, hey, did you I get it? I texted him last night and it, I was so. doing something else and then I forgot. Yeah, I have it. Did you have it? I have it. Yeah. I record the games. In case, I, in I, case I miss something happens, I need to go back and watch. Oh, yeah. There's a reason why every year you win City Award winner because of that. You record it, you go back, you study it, you make notations, not notes, notations in the margins above and below the paragraphs, and you just dive into it every single game, preseason included. If people, you want to know why he's a Hall of Famer, that's it right there. Really, it isn't. I do it for moments just like this, and I screwed it up because then I didn't go back and get the audio. You can read lips, and you have a big screen. More, look yeah. at me. I record the games. I'm special. I'm who I am. You barely watch. Next. Listen, man, if you have a confession <laughs> to make and you have a guilty conscience, bless me, Father. It. it has been one day since my last missed jazz game. Got a little jersey in there. That was good. <laughs> That's Catholicism right there. We go to fathers. You folk go to bishops. It's the same thing. But they're not really fathers. If they are fathers, then they've got an issue. But that's another story. But we'll leave that story for another time and just tell you the Jazz are off tonight and they play the Wizards in Washington, D.C. You're tomorrow. probably watching games from last year then. Or I bet you no. you're recording the Wizards. So you know full well what Kyle Kuzma's about and KCP since they made the transition from the Lakers over to the Wizards, who of course used to be the Bullets up in Maryland, as you know. But... Kevin Reardon and Phil Chenier are not walking through that door. I actually usually delete the games after two or three days. So, Pre-game coverage on The Zone, 4 o'clock on Saturday. Game tips off at 5 o'clock. We will talk jazz with David Locke. He will join us at 9.05. Joe Ingles scheduled to join us at 9.30 this morning. Right here on The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. LeBron finds AD. Good cross-court vision. Great cross-court vision, and AD's got a three. Tilly left block, shoulder to the basket, kicks it out left wing Bain. Open three on the way, ring it up. Put three on the board. It's a 10-point Grizzly lead as they open the fourth with a big Desmond Bain triple. In and out, no good. Rebound kept alive by Jones. He tips it back out to Murray. Straight away three. Yes, sir. Here's White driving into the paint. White, a layup is good over Jokic. 21 points for Derek White. Derek White, 23 points. Spurs beat the Nuggets 123-111. You know, we used to follow the whole Western Conference. Do you find less urgency in following the West Conference as closely? Because Spurs and Nuggets are not catching the Jazz in the standings. No, I have to follow them. i got to make up the difference between me and you. You really don't. <laughs> Grizzlies rolled past the Lakers 108-95. you got to follow the Lakers just for fun because they're struggling. That was a horrendous loss. <laughs> Memphis is back-to-back without Ja Moran. He's got the Rona Blues. And they lose that game. And you got all your guys, so it's not like uh, you can wait for this player or that player. I mean, some some guy that I don't know of, maybe. But they're three big old superstars, all played. And you still got beat by Memphis without their best player. And Memphis was playing the night before. And you're 13-13 and 13 now. Frankie V, you'll be home for Christmas. Anthony Davis. 
The Lakers have, quote, got to play like we're the underdogs, which now at this point of the season, the way we're playing a lot of games, we probably are. I can agree with that. I think that's a factual statement. That's looking at the scenery in front of you and speaking truth. 13-13, sixth in the West. Sixth? I thought they were lower than that. No? Nope. I'm looking at it right now. Well, I figured you probably have it memorized. I mean, when are you not, not looking at it? I do not you sit there memorized. with the standings right there with honey when you go out to eat. Nope. You don't go out to eat? Mm, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Bulls forward Derek Jones Jr. entered the NBA's health and safety protocols on Thursday. He is the fifth Bulls player sidelined during what has become a team-wide COVID-19 outbreak. The Bulls are second in the East, only a half game behind the Nets right now. They got the Rona Blues. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. With 3.4 to go. Get it to Harper with three, with two, with one. Harper for the win. Got it! Let's go! Let's go! Harper Jr. Let's go! The game winner at the buzzer. Let's go! And Rutgers upsets number Let's one go! Purdue 70-68. Let's go! Yeah, let's go. Let's get you right off the broadcast. Not one. Not two. You didn't know not the three. Let go was going. Uh, four, five, and TV six. Call. I heard the radio call was great, but I didn't see it. We can't see it. Well, I mean, hear. I didn't hear it. On, on Twitter, once I saw it, I didn't keep clicking on links to hear that yet. I heard it driving in this morning, him screaming, let's go. 70-68. Rutgers on a desperation running. He got across half court, but it's still a long shot. Ron Harper Jr. Yeah, Ron Harper Jr., the three for the win. We, Number one, Purdue goes down 70-68. to 68. College of basketball, I just, it's not so high on the radar. You know, I didn't even realize Purdue was number one, to tell you the truth. Uh, and we are a day late. Should have had Chris Hill in today. <laughs> so the Rutgers could They would have been it. hugging us. He's a Rutgers guy all the way. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And he was talking about you know, now that he's done, that uh, you know, you go back to your where you were from, and that's Rutgers. I think he played there, and uh, yeah, that's the first time they've ever done that. And Purdue, that was the first game ever played as ranked number one, <laughs> and that won't last very long. I guess they get to play a game on the weekend as number one, and then there'll be a new poll, and they probably won't be number cool one. shot. Rutgers, yeah, where'd he go? I was more of a Seton Hall guy. My father liked Seton Hall growing up because it was in South Orange and just, just right next door. They got a big win over Texas, didn't they? Yeah. And they've been okay over the years. They've been better than, than Rutgers, although Rutgers has had its moments. 24th ranked BYU plays Creighton, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Neutral site matchup. That game's 10 a.m. tomorrow on Fox Sports 1. That's some early college basketball right there. Yeah, it's South Dakota Central, so that'd be 11 o'clock their time? 11 o'clock Central, yeah. correct, yeah. Utes play at 3 o'clock tomorrow. They're welcoming Manhattan to the Huntsman Center. Back into non-con play after splitting a couple of Pac-12 games. That game's on the Pac-12 networks. And then I had a civil war last night. What happened? Grand Canyon and Arizona State. I've got degrees from both institutions. <laughs> so you're guaranteed I to win. I split right down the middle, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had my Lopes gear on my left. I had my Devil gear on my right. Nice. Got one of those uh, jerseys that parents get made just for such an occasion. Covered my face and, you know, left side Lopes, right side Devils. Nice. Yeah. I had purple on the left and the, mar- the maroon and gold on the right because I, I have degrees from both of those fine institutions. 
ASU wins 67-62 and improves to 4-6 and six on the year, which is why you're a bigger baseball fan than basketball fan when it comes to ASU. Oh, yeah, I've never been much. Oh, yeah. A, they've never given me reason, and then B, I've just grown up in the Northeast. It was all pro. Pro's a big, big deal there. And then, and then when I moved to Phoenix, they had pro. That's the one sport they had, you know? The Suns, obviously. Yep. Wack Power Grand Canyon falls to 8-2. and two. Yeah, well, they're a decent program. Uh, Drew, Bryce Drew, is uh, their coach now. They got rid of Marley a couple years ago. You I t- wonder, before we leave there, yeah. I wonder if they're going to... I'd heard rumors that they wanted to replace BYU in the West Coast. Heard them and Seattle, and heard that Grand Canyon, a little better position than uh, Seattle in the mindset. If I was in the West Coast, Coast, I'd take them in a heartbeat. Yeah. Latest intel says that they're actually opting to stay in the whack for the time. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's necessarily the right move for Grand Canyon's perspective, but I'm saying for the West Coast perspective, oh, absolutely take I would yeah. want them. I don't know if it's the right thing for Grand Canyon. I haven't researched it to see all what's in their advantage. I'm just speaking from West Coast advantage since that's the conference BYU's been in for a decade and we followed them in basketball for sure. Gets them uh, back to 10 teams after BYU leaves. Yeah, and I think that would be a, a, a great addition for from the West Coast perspective. I don't know if it's the right thing for, for my antelopes. Well, your antelopes would become very hard to win a, an, an automatic bid, not that they've got one in in the whack, but they've been close. They've been in conference finals and all that. But you go into a lead with Gonzaga, and yeah, but you don't need to win the automatic bid to get there. You don't. And actually, I think that would help them though. Play, we get to play Gonzaga twice. I mean, they have a nice student uh, crowd anyway at their at their building. Patino went in there with uh, Louisville a couple years back uh, before he got run, and he said it was one of the best, if not the best, environment he'd been in. So they they do. It's a smaller gym. Uh, but they they put they're, people in it and yeah. it gets loud. Yeah, it does. You don't need to have a huge sports arena. Yeah, I think it's like eight, nine thousand somewhere in there, like Duke's Duke's Arena. Same as same Cameron thing. Indoor. Yeah. yeah. Scotty G's back at it on the Utah State broadcast. They are hosting New Orleans at the Spectrum at seven o'clock. You can listen on the Zone, and that is tomorrow. All these games tomorrow. Weaver State, after getting blown out of Washington State, will be back home hosting Maine, Fort Kent. Have you ever heard of Maine, Fort Kent? Not the Maine Maine University of Maine campus. Not the Black Bears. I think that's a play, right? All right, ready. Maine, Fort Kent on three. (laughs) Dixie State is hosting Denver. UVU is at Wyoming. And Southern Utah hosts St. Catherine. Those games all streaming. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Handoff goes to Galvin, and he is loose to the right side! 10-5, touchdown! A 29-yard scamper by Galvin Cook. Kirk from under center, play action. He's going to shoot one to KJ, left side, caught! 15, 10, touchdown! Ben to the end zone, and it's dropped! Friar Muth had it, and then he was blasted by a couple of Vikings in town! Vikings got up 23-0 at the half, led 29-0 in the third quarter. Then Roethlisberger started airing it out. He ended up throwing for 300 yards and three scores. But they didn't get that touchdown and two right at the end of the game they needed to get to overtime. So Pittsburgh drops to 6-6 with a tie. And the Vikings improved to 6-7. Both teams 
chasing that last wildcard berth in their respective conferences. Pittsburgh, the days of the Steel Curtain are long gone, PK. They cannot stop the run. They're one of the worst teams in the league. Against the run, and Dalvin Cook had a massive game. 205 yards and two scores. A friend of mine asked me in the uh, preseason, she's in a big fantasy league with her family, who should I take, McCaffrey or Cook? I said, well, I love McCaffrey, but he's always hurt, so I would take Cook. Cook should help her win the game. That was an awfully big game for Dalvin Cook. All right, big games this weekend. Chiefs leading the AFC West are hosting the Raiders. The two former Cougars are going head-to-head. The Saints are playing the Jets. So you get to see you do, PK, because you have the NFL ticket. I do. It'll only be on the ticket. Saints and Jets... Taysom Hill will get the start for New Orleans. And the Jets are playing a little better. We'll see what they get out of uh, Zach Wilson. Yeah, they got to start working on their defense, too. Speaking of not having a good defense. Who's 29th against the run out of 32 teams? The, the Jets, Jets. The Jets have their pick and Seattle's pick. They do currently. So it's be, it'd be number three and number six, I think. Yeah, so that's an opportunity. You got a couple very good players. Yeah. Or trade down, pick up an extra pick, well, and get even more good players. Yeah, you maybe do both. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, they really got to cash in. Cowboys have a chance to beat Washington and really pretty much lock up the NFC East if they get a win. So that's a big game right there. The Ravens, similar situation, leading their division, the AFC North. They are playing the Browns. They got a little help there with the Steelers losing. So see if they can pull away in that division. Ravens a game up on the Bengals right now. Bengals are playing the Niners, and the Bills are playing the Bucks. Bills are struggling, man. They got off to a great start, but it is not going well for them coming off that loss to the Patriots, and uh, they have been alternating wins and losses and gone three and four in their last seven. Sunday night football, the Bears and the Packers. See if Aaron Rodgers can continue to own Chicago. Former Bronco wide receiver Demarius Thomas found dead at his home in Roswell, Georgia. He was 33 years old. Initial reports indicate Thomas may have experienced a medical issue that caused his death. A cousin who grew up with him uh, says that uh, she told the AS the family thinks he had a seizure and died. He's only 33 years old, recently retired from the NFL. Yeah. One of the Broncos' all-time great receivers. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Quiet weekend on the college football front. Army and Navy center stage. The Bulls will start next week, but this week, 1 o'clock CBS. 8 and 3 Army, 3 and 8 Navy at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. It has not gone well for Navy the last couple of years, PK. They have fallen a long way. They've always played that in Philadelphia. Uh, they moved it around. They played in Philly a lot, but they have played typically, in Jersey before. Yeah, typically it's in Philly, but this year they're moving it to MetLife. They moved it to Texas and California they, and occasionally. In years. the pandemic year, I think, didn't they move it to Army's home yeah, campus? Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, they did, they did yeah. And uh, the latest on Kalani, John Canzano. The favorites are an NFL candidate or a mystery college candidate. That narrows it down. You can't go wrong on that. They're not going to hire a high school coach. I don't think that was an option. And then Wilcox, Kelly, and Sataki. 
I think, uh, from what I understand, Kalani would prefer to stay. And BYU takes care of their business, which I always thought they would. I always thought they would step up, step up their game. There's a very good chance he stays. But, you know, if Kelly goes, well, then you got the same thing right down the street here with another team. Then UCLA will be out looking for people. But then some other guy last night, him and his 1,500 followers. Oh, man, if it's true what I'm hearing, that's why I'm not doing Twitter anymore. <laughs> because everybody's a wannabe on Twitter. Look what I know. No, I'm not going to do it. I am not playing that game on Twitter ever again. According to numerous reports, Oregon has submitted a request to UCLA to interview Bruins head coach Chip Kelly. The Ducks, intrigued by the idea of bringing the coach back for a second tour. Now they're going to get uh, Dobble Sweeney or Urban Meyer. I mean, a mystery NFL or a mystery college? Those are my guys. Nevada's reportedly set to hire Oregon co-defensive coordinator Ken Wilson as the next Wolfpack football coach. He spent 19 years coaching at Nevada. Five years as an assistant head coach, four as a defensive coordinator. Spent the past nine seasons working at Washington State and Oregon. And Chris Alt, who's a legendary football coach there in Nevada, says Wilson is the guy. That's the guy he's backing. So. And Chris Alt's your guy. Chris Alt's my guy? Yeah, you love that dude. The NCAA put a stop to the fake slide that Pitt quarterback Kenny Pickett used to score a touchdown in the ACC championship game. Referees should interpret a fake slide as a player surrendering himself. They should blow the whistle into play. You have to. If they're so big on safety, you simply cannot allow that play. Because then defenders will be like, oh, he was just faking the slide. That's why I hit him. You just get into a whole gray area. It gets all weird, and some quarterback gets blasted and gets hurt. You can fake spike it, you know, clock it and all Mm -hmm. that. That's fine because you got five 300 pounders in front, front of, of you. you it's not the same thing right yeah. but you're moving you just you if, if safety is the big issue as it should be you simply cannot do that what is trending is brought to you by shamrock plumbing there's no job too big or too small get the personal touch with shamrock plumbing call them at 801-295-1690 that's shamrock plumbing all right david Locke coming up at nine o'clock we'll talk jazz with joe ingles at 9 30 next we are talking football with lincoln kennedy las vegas raider radio analyst pac-12 network analyst he joins us next right here on the zone it's official the youths are the 2021 pac-12 champs and are heading to the granddaddy of them all the rose bowl what better way for the youths to make their inaugural trip to the rose bowl than a battle against ohio state keep it locked on the zone sports network as we get you ready for the youths historic trip to pasadena your home for the best coverage of the youths in the rose bowl is right here on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome back Lincoln Kennedy, Raider, radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Lincoln, good morning. DJ PK, it's Friday. LK is with you. Everybody okay? Yeah, everybody's good. Dan Day. The snow. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> the snow is falling. I trust you're somewhere warmer. Phoenix. Uh, in, in Phoenix, we don't have any snow. We did get some rain last night. No snow, but yeah. 
So in Las Vegas, it was all Utes all the time. Did yeah. the ease and, and basically the fact that it was the same script just repeated right down to when the Utes scored and how they scored, did that surprise you? Not at all. Uh, you know what? There have been, you know, I was conflicted. Uh, the dog versus duck hatred aside, um, I, I was conflicted about Oregon. I never thought they were as good as their record. I thought it was very surprising they were able to go back to Columbus earlier this year and beat Ohio State. But I was never always that high on Oregon, um, mainly because the, the, the quarterback play at Brown. I, I think that I was not impressed with them. I thought they had some good, solid pieces. Obviously, Mario, Mario Thibodeau is going to be the, they're probably the first pick in the draft um, if it's not a quarterback. But um, overall, I just was not overly impressed with, uh, with, uh, with Oregon. So with that being said, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised what Utah did to them in, in the early, during the season. And more importantly, as you mentioned, the same game plan. Oregon just could not match the physical nature of the Utes. And, you know, Utah deservedly won the Pac-12. As you look at it now, how much do you think it was a distraction for the Ducks with this Cristobal flirtation with Miami? Because there's just no way, you know, that the talk started after the game and then two days later he's the coach. It's clear that it's been going on for a while and we heard reports that it's been going on back before they even played the first game a few weeks ago. You know, for the first time that I, since I can remember, there were a lot of high, highly prolific, notable jobs available in the NC2A. You know, for a while, you know, Florida, SC, you know, Notre Dame, you know, all these things were changing over before um, before they happened. So, you know, I wasn't. I, it was disheartened that you know, you, the, the the young men heard about it and the, and the fact that the things uh, went the way they did. I don't know if that really reflected in their play. I think they were just outplayed by Utah both times. But it doesn't help when your coaches uh, seeming to be on the outs and and people are wondering whether or not he's going to be coming back, especially for the guys who still had years to play, uh, years of eligibility. There at Oregon. So when we see coaches talking during the season, do you just want to move the recruiting day that moved to December? That seems to have sped up the coaching hires, which speeds up the coaching fires. Are you ready for that to move back to January or February? I would hope that it would. I mean, it would move back because it would be very helpful, especially with all the things, the transactions, guys jumping around. You know, look, I, I've been very critical of the transfer portal. Um, I think it's like, a, you know, an amateur set size of free agency type of thing. But coaches have been doing it all along. And, and if coaches have the right to jump ship and go to other places, students should too. I don't necessarily agree with the transfer portal on, on another, other issues. But when it comes to recruiting and when it comes to scholarships, it makes it really tough if a coach doesn't get in there early enough or make the decision like they had to early enough to be a part of recruiting and to be able to to take it over and do a good job with it. From the NFL perspective, how good do you think Devin Lloyd is going to be as a linebacker? Because obviously he's been awesome at the college level. I love Devin Lloyd. I've said it in every broadcast that I've had a chance to do Utah. I love Devin Lloyd. He's a linebacker who's always around the football. We'll call I call a ball hawk. And more importantly, he's just had a tremendous career. He's a high-impact player. I think he's going to be great on the next level. Tavion Thomas really came on for the Utes. Should he go to the NFL now? Because running backs, man, they don't have very long careers. Why spend one more year in college? Or he didn't even play a full season for the Utes. He does need another year in school. I think he needs another year. I think he needs another year to showcase his talents and really show what he can do, especially at all now, coming out of the backfield, catching the football, stuff like that. Um, but at the same point, you know, it's hard to determine whether or not he feels comfortable enough that he's going to get enough playing time. So, you know, you can, take, you can strike while the griddle's hot. I just don't know where, how far he's going to go. He might end up being, you know, either a late 
late draft choice or, uh, or, or a free agent. How about offensive linemen, you know, because obviously they're getting hit on every single play. A kid like Nick Ford, for the, if he wants to come back, so be it. But I, I really don't see any reason. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's done everything he can. He should just go ahead and move on to the next level. But, look, there, there are a lot of schools that have what we call super seniors now, guys that are staying in to try to up their draft status. They have, they have the information or the wherewithal out there, the ability to check to see where your possible draft status we might get. I implore all the kids who are thinking about the next level and they still have some, some, um, some eligibility left in college to, to take the full advantage of that. Get that assessment, see where you are, and don't rush it. The NFL's not going to go anywhere. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be there, I promise. Lincoln Kennedy joining us. He is both a Pac-12 network analyst and a radio, Raider radio analyst. Uh, as you watch all the coaching moves uh, shake out and as you advise people, would you advise Chip Kelly and uh, Wilcox to go to Oregon? <laughs> um, I, don't, I, I don't think Cal or UCLA are bad jobs. I really don't. Um, I know Oregon has a ton of money with being known as Nike U, um, and they've done a great job of recruiting, and NIL is high. Um, but if, if I'm at the other places, I don't see it. It's almost like a sideways move to me. Because if, if Chip Kelly could put UCLA on the map, I mean, with football, he would be highly regarded, especially with the company competing with Lincoln Riley right there, you know, across town. And as for Justin Wilcox, I mean, you know, Cal's a, a great institution, a great university, uh, and, and they've been coming up, you know, getting some good recruits lately. They're, they're, they seem to be on the rise. They just keep stubbing their toe uh, once they get away from Chase Garbers and try to find something else, but uh, a quarterback. But for my, my mind, it's, it's, not, it's not a step up. It's like almost like a sideways move, and why? Saturday morning, or Saturday, Sunday morning, I was thinking college, Sunday morning <laughs> in uh, Kansas City, Raiders and Chiefs. Chiefs put it on them pretty good, yeah. what, three, four games ago. Uh, Raiders, uh, bad loss to Washington. Offense couldn't get going much. i got to admit, I'm not expecting much here. You and me both. I mean, I've been very critical of the Raiders this past week. The thing is, is that, you know, in the past they've hurt themselves with stupid penalties, and, 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 and but the more important thing – throughout this season. The reason why they're 500 is they've been terribly inconsistent. And I don't know how you change that. I don't know what you do. You know, I was hoping, I was thinking that after the Cowboy game, as aggressive as the, the offense came out and played, that they were going to be able to just trounce all over the Washington football team, especially with the injuries they had in the secondary. Didn't seem that way. It didn't. I mean, it wasn't that way. Obviously, they played down to the level of competition. And now they put themselves back themselves in a the corner. They've got to win out if they have any aspirations of going to playoffs. Because all the opponents from here on out are AFC opponents as well as divisional opponents. And so I just don't necessarily think it's going to happen. I I haven't seen enough out of this team to say that they can go in Kansas. Well, confidently say they can go in Kansas City and beat the Chiefs. Now I think they have the ability. But, again, inconsistencies have run rapid with this team all season long. You know, we say it's a quarterback-driven league, and, and it is. You really have a huge advantage when you have a good quarterback. But the Steelers' Thursday night game and some of their problems the last couple of weeks uh, has really kind of shined a light on you still have to be able to stop the run. I mean, the basics still matter. Right. And you look at the bottom quarter of the league in rushing defense, you have teams that are really bad, the Texans, the Jets, the Lions, the Giants. And then you got a group of teams there that are just trying to get to the playoffs and kind of in the wild card race, but not quite, Raiders, Vikings, Steelers, and Chargers. If any of them could shore up the run defense, I know we judge their quarterbacks and judge them harshly, but if any of them shored up their run defense, would that make the difference? 
Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think it could. But, again, you still have to have competent quarterback play because you have to put points on the board. I think there have been many teams that have been complacent and content with just kicking field goals, and that's not going to be a lot of teams in these leagues. The offenses are so prolific that you've got to be able to score touchdowns. So not only do you have to stop the run in a sense where Pittsburgh couldn't do that last night. I mean, Davin Cook ran all over them. But more importantly, well, their offense has got to be able to score. And Pittsburgh's offense seemed really inept last night because they couldn't even pick up simple blitzes. They had offensive linemen, you know, going down on linebackers on space and letting defensive linemen go to get sacked, uh, Ben uh, get sacked. So that's just poor offensive line play. They were they were completely blown out, and they, they they came back and made it interesting. They were completely blown out long before the the, the game was over. But more importantly, they they seemed unable to handle the pressure. They played a big game on Sunday and then come back and play Thursday. They seemed they seemed out of it for a while. The Raiders, too, you know, you talk about uh, divisional or conference opponents. I don't think any of them have a losing record. I think the Broncos might be the worst at 6-6 six and six, uh, going forward. So they've got qu- at least decent teams anyway, and not necessarily great if you're 6-6. Six and six. Uh, So if they don't make the playoff, uh, or maybe even if they do, if they barely get in, where do you think they go as far as coaching? That's a, that's a big question. I like Rich Versace. I think he needs to work on his clock management, but he's a he's a, a rookie head coach, so that that's going to happen every now and then. I like Rich Versace. I like his coaching staff. I think they need to tweak at quarterback, and I think they need to tweak at offensive coordinator. Uh, maybe go out and get somebody. However, there's not a whole lot of options. Derek Carr to me, has been inconsistent for eight years. And, and there, you've seen flashes. Even the time that in 2016, before he broke his ankle, he was probably in the conversation for MVP. I know what a lot of people have said about the numbers that he's had. I just don't know if he, he gets you to the next level. I don't know if he's a Patrick Mahomes, or and, and there aren't a whole lot of quarterbacks out there. So I, I think you might have to tweak that. As offensive philosophy goes, there's some things that need to be tweaked. I, and, and I don't know if bringing in a new offensive coordinator is, uh, or offensive co- coach is going to change that because they've got some good pieces. They just need to use uh, better know how to use them. It stuns me when I hear coaches have problems with clock management. I mean, it's just arithmetic. It's addition and subtraction. And with so many employees in the in, in Major League Baseball, they have like a bench coach to sit there and make sure that a young manager, or sometimes even an experienced manager, just has someone else to run them by, make sure I'm not missing anything obvious. How come there isn't one more person on headsets helping coaches with simple math? There's, there's a gazillion dollars at stake here. I wish, I wish there were. And then it was a classic case this past week against the Washington football team. We're coming up again up on, on a two-minute uh, warning in the first half. The Raiders made a stop of Washington, forced second and long. And rather than call a timeout, and Versace had all three of his timeouts, rather than call a timeout and take advantage of stopping the clock to give your offense a little bit more time, he let it run down the two-minute warning. Lost about 35 seconds. Uh, and, and Washington, that was their, 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 their key. That's what they want to do. They want to control the time possession. They want to run the football. And they did it. So I thought it was bad judgment on Versace's area. Uh, on, on, and, and so there's things like that that happen throughout games that I see amongst amateur coaches or rookie coaches. That have to be, you know, pay attention to. But you know, it's one of those mistakes that could be costly, and it was. So Lincoln, are the Bills done? We've watched them struggle, and I had high hopes for them. You looking somewhere else in the AFC now? I don't think they're done. I still think they're a good football team. They just need to find a way to rebound. That was an embarrassing loss to the Patriots. Yeah. All right. Well, LK, we appreciate a few minutes to talk football. Thanks a lot, and we will uh, talk to you again in a week. All right, guys. Have a good one. I'll see you soon. Lincoln Kennedy, 
Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, and like everybody else, he's on board with Devin Lloyd. Yeah, what a stud, man. My gosh. Making so many big plays. You don't have to have the uh, the really fine-tuned eye for it to know that guy's better than everybody else. Yeah, I was re-watching that game the other night, uh, you know, one from last week, and that interception, well, first of all, Brown threw it right to him. Uh, How did he not see him? <laughs> he's a big man. But just his ability to move, and he's physical. I mean, I'm not a football NFL talent evaluator, but he just screams he ch- prototypical linebacker, man. In today's game, to be able to rush, play the run, drop back, and and move, you know, he can. He, you know, they talk about a five-tool player in baseball. It seemed like whatever tool you number for linebacking crew, whatever that might be, he's got it. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. More on the Jazz big win coming up. David Locke is going to join us at 9.05, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and Joe Ingles will be here at 9.30 on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Unripe. Guys are doing a hell of a job. And I think about where Utah football is today and the fact that Utah now is playing Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. And I don't know if I've told you that yet, but that's what's that's what's going on. And I remember back at that time, 35, 36 years ago, where there wasn't even a snowball's chance that Utah would ever go to a Rose Bowl or ever play and compete against the Ohio State Buckeyes. That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by KSL Sports. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Davis Vision, got a sale going right now. It's the fifth annual Black Friday sale, extended through December. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save $1,400. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. First Saturday since September without local college football, it is here. Boo-hoo-hoo. How will you survive? I won't. (laughs) You will, too. You'll be here on Monday. You don't know that. I didn't make it. I don't know if I'll be alive on Sunday. 49ers draft. (laughs) Classics never grow old. In case you were wondering what he was talking about there. He decides, not me. (laughs) There you go. Robert says, well, I'm going to see if the family's changed in the last few months and find out what's new with them. <laughs> Some of these locked down on college football quadruple headers have no idea what's going on at home. It's funny because I already told my wife, we're talking about uh, going out of town next, not this weekend, but next weekend. I said, no, I can't go till Sunday. Uh, what? Got a BYU-Utah State yeah. bowl doubleheader. Yes, exactly. So I said, well, I got, I got BYU and Utah, or Utah State. One uh, one thirty, five thirty. Basketball? No, <laughs> no. We could go anywhere on that. It's December. Uh, I said, no, no, no. These are bowl games. Oh, sweet! We got back to back bowl games. I said, yeah. She goes, that'll be really fun. I said, yes, it will. Looking forward to plopping my butt on the couch for uh, what's that? Going to be six, seven hours or so, maybe even longer, and uh, just watching both those games start to finish. Absolutely, man. Uh, but this week, yeah, it, it's funny because you get, at, at least in our community, probably especially in our community, and we're not unique in that way, but it is in our community, there's such an adrenaline surge 
uh, for me anyway, probably for you guys too, when college football starts. And it begins with media day when we go down uh, to uh, Hollywood, somewhere down there, wherever we might go. It's usually that's where we've been in the Hollywood area of late. And Pac-12 Media Day, just at one of my favorite days. It's like Christmas morning for me. And then in the following summer, I'm hoping that we get to go to wherever they have it in Dallas, I think, uh, for Big 12. Big 12. Because that'll be a lot of fun. And that, that really, really gets it going. And then when it starts, man, it's just on. And we love it so much. And it's like, uh, it, it's a, a, a come down. You know, I don't want to compare it to like a... You're on a, some type of uh, narcotic high, but that's what they, I've never been on that, so I don't know what that's like. But they say that the, the come down, and, I, and that's a serious issue. That's addiction and all that stuff. But there is a sense of what would be incompleteness this Saturday as opposed to the last 12, 13 Saturdays. What we had a lot of years, not every year, was the BYU-Utah basketball game on this day. So it, it gave it something. But there's, there's certainly a sense of incomplete. Like, there's yeah, been something saying, there, and then it's missing. Yeah. And then we'll get it on the 18th with that, those two games, and Christmas Day takes care of that Saturday, and the next Saturday will be New Year's Day and be the Rose Bowl. So we'll be in good shape. Right. But this Saturday, it's a little slow. I've always been a little surprised the NFL doesn't have games on this Saturday. I think they used to, didn't they? They have them late in the season, and we will see some Saturday games coming up later in the year, but they will not have them this week. And, you know, okay, don't go head-to-head with Army-Navy, but a game on the NFL Network or whatever Saturday night doesn't seem like the worst idea. And it's a chance to make a little more money. I'm surprised the NFL hasn't done it. Now, I'll watch some, if not all, the Army-Navy game. I feel like it's a patriotic duty. I enjoy these, all these tremendous freedoms, and I didn't do anything for them. I was just born into it. Didn't do a thing. I inherited did it. Did you have any family members who were in the Army or Navy that— I mean, I, whenever I see that game, I think of my dad because he was in the Navy, and my my brother was in the Navy, and they all root for it. In the Navy! <laughs> don't say the village people. <laughs> well, you said it twice. It's funny. I don't have any ties <laughs> to Army, but I've got three or four to the Navy. I've got it to the military because Uncle, they protect me. I don't need any personal ones. I'm, I'm the opposite of DJ. Mine's are all with, mine is all with the Army. All in in the, the Army! <laughs> Thank you. I told you my my mother's brother was lost at sea, man. I do remember that. That was a crazy story. Yeah, for several days. I posted his obituary on Twitter. It's still there. Yeah. My Uncle Sonny. How, how old did he live? 99. 99. You got some longevity in your family. Well, yeah. The only reasons, the only ways uh, Italians die are old age or they get whacked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perpetuating stereotypes. <laughs> Jersey, North Jersey. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and my mother came from uh, 11 kids, and my Uncle Sonny was not the oldest to, to die. So what's the oldest relative you got? My, my mother's oldest sister and my Aunt Maisie, uh, 100. Wow, nice. Yeah. So we had four daughters in the Ciamello family, uh, Maisie, Marie, Ida, and she's the one to blame for me, and, and Rose. And the other three are gone. So Maisie was 100. Marie was a nun for all of her, all my life, 
and uh, she was like 86. My mother was my other mother actually died the youngest, 82. And then that's the youngest, yeah. unbelievable. And then my aunt Rose is still going strong at like 94. And my sister moved out to Maricopa, which is way, way southwest. And uh, basically, the, it became a community because they put up Indian on the Indian land casinos. And it's a big community now. It used to be absolutely nothing. It was the first high school game I ever covered at the Casa Grande Dispatch. <laughs> and they sent you to Maricopa? Which was like 20 minutes away. Yeah, just Phoenix right. has sprawled within 20 minutes of Casa Grande now, huh? Yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I knew they was growing, growing closer. That's this, how the West sprawls. That's how that's I what had we're that, doing in Utah. I had that reunion with the Casa Grande Dispatch dude when I went to Tucson huh. a month ago. Because you were in Maricopa you, already? And you just, well, you, to get, they don't send you out to I uh, 10, they send you through Casa Grande and you hit it south of Casa okay. Grande. Since I was there, I stopped and then the guy who hired me <laughs> was still there. He's that was a cool at, photo. PK yeah. texted me that. <laughs> I was a little surprised you didn't tweet that out. You've made Casa Grande part of the show. I, I did uh, tweet uh, me standing in front with the Casa Grande. Dispatch. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. But that same editor is a family owned. He, in 1984, when he hired me right out of school, um, he was still there in the same office. The newsroom is exactly the same. He's 72 years old now. And we had a, like an hour reunion. It was so cool. I mean, I hadn't seen him in all that time. And he was still right there. It's like nothing changed. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy, the guy who hired me for my first full-time job in Santa Barbara, uh, it's changed a little bit. He's doing TV in town. Oh, He still does some radio. But I follow him on social media. Yeah. Keeps me up to date on Santa Donovan Barbara. Donovan Kramer is his name. And so he was there. And we, ch we chat. I said, hey, thanks for hiring me, man. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, my sister sees my Aunt Rose mm -hmm. at the casinos. That's where they hook up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's good. A lot of steps from the car into the casino. Get your steps in. Yeah. She, my Aunt Rose either drives herself or they have a public transportation. That, but she, she still is in her 90s, still driving. So, yeah, the Italian portion of the side... Uh, uh, serious longevity, and uh, so my f my uncle Sonny was in the Navy, and all of her, uh, so she had six brothers, and they were all in the Navy, every every last one of them. So I feel like I have to watch that game. I mean, I want to watch it. I mean, I haven't done a thing, not a thing for this all this tremendous freedom that I have. I didn't I didn't even register for the draft. I didn't have to register for the draft. You nothing. didn't? No, nothing. I did. No, oh, nothing. Man. My grandmother, who never had anything to say about stuff like that, just like lit into me like six months before the birthday where I had to register. Oh. And when you turn, you're going to register for the draft. No, I missed it. <laughs> like, they set the date, but I was two weeks. Uh, I caught it uh, two weeks before you had to. Yeah. There yeah. you go. So, yeah, I didn't even do that. But uh, I'll watch that game. That'll be... I always feel like I, I should. I mean, it's about... Because every time I went to the, the, uh, the um, Air Force Academy... You always felt like you were on some form of hallowed ground. I don't know if sacred's the word, but you felt like you were on hallowed ground for what these young folks would do. And I admire them to the greatest extent. So I'll watch that, but I'm going to miss the fact that we don't have local college football because it's such a massive part of all of our lives. Not only, it would probably be a massive part if I was a teacher. And that's, you know, I talked about how I got the degree from Grand King. That's what I got it in. So it was either going to do this or be a teacher and coach ball, which I would have been fine. 
And as the way it, it turned out, I am this ultimate mega superstar media guy. I mean, that's just, you know, no one can argue with that. I mean, I'm top of the world. I mean, you get all the awards, but let's call it like it is. Hot Takes or Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair? It's 2021 and you don't have to. No. UOP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text hair to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment. Or visit www.utahhairmd.com. More on the jazz, the win in Philadelphia. We will do that next. Stay with us. This week's Raider game against the Chiefs is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Utah Jazz blow out the Philadelphia 76ers 118-96. Hassan Whiteside is back and looking good. You got any worries out of this, PK? Any nits you want to pick? Because that was a pretty solid performance from start to finish. Any nits I want to pick? Well, nitpicking. <laughs> Never heard that. You haven't? No. Oh, yeah. Any, he's I mean, he's used that on the show before. I mean, I've heard yeah. of zits I want to pick, but not yeah. nits. <laughs> well, nitpicking is weird because it references, uh, and I don't know, it must be some old expression. Right. Do you have anything you want to nitpick about? But exactly. nits that I want to pick? Well, Yes. Better be careful on that. I know. <laughs> it could go wrong. It didn't, but it could. <laughs> you know, or else we'd have to fly high and ultra big flag. Careful. <laughs> no. Not, not not right now. No. No. Not at all. No. Nothing. Philly had one decent quarter, the first quarter. They led 32-27, and then the Jazz locked them up. Never scored more than 22 points in a quarter after that. Jazz won every quarter, just kept pulling away, led it to half, opened it up. There was so much positivity, man, that I was almost appreciating it. (laughs) (laughs) It was serious. The bench was good. The starters were good. The offensive rebounding has been a problem. wasn't a problem. The turnovers and fast breaks had been a problem. weren't a problem. So apparently some Yahoo, Pat Beverly, and somebody else said something about Rudy. I mean, I know Holly was playing that up big time. And that was the big issue. And uh, well, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't make fun of anyone. I don't, <laughs> I don't take shots at anyone. But they continue to take shots at me. I don't understand it. <laughs> Furthermore, who cares what Pat Beverly says? <laughs> oh, brother! But Rudy always answers the questions. He never coughs an attitude. Like oh, I don't want to talk about that. I mean, but that's that's what the, she was she was all excited about. Uh, so I thought that was funny and entertaining as far as that goes. And he did play well. I think it's the fact that you're going up against Embiid, yes. not what Beverly said, because Embiid's a premier player. Yep, totally you know, agree. I mean, he's got a lot, a lot of skill, man. He's the, he might be the uh, utmost prototypical big man, even though you got uh, the yoke man, Jokic, because I think Embiid is... Uh, a better, I'd have to look at the numbers, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like he's a better perimeter shooter. But obviously Jokic is very, very good too. Uh, and Gobert doesn't get that type of acclaim because he doesn't have the offensive game to match that. And he doesn't have the offensive game that has anything basically beyond a dunk or some type of gangly Eurostep thing to the rim. Uh, so he's not going to get that. People are going to take shots at him. The old Shaq line last year, it's not old, I think it was last year, you know, to get a hundred million, all I had to do was average uh, thirteen points. You know, well, I've, 
thinking about that, and, and Shaq has said that. But the difference is Shaq's not watching Gobert every single game. He just isn't, nor can he. It's, it's, he has too much to do, and he's not focusing on the jazz. He's got to focus on the league, right? And the league forces you to pay attention to these teams. I was telling you, Jay Williams, the old Duke guy who got in a crash, I think, uh, with the Bulls, so his pro career never materialized. They had him on Phoenix Radio, and they were asking him, you know, when do you ever talk about the Suns? He says, we've we got to talk about LeBron. Which, Play the hits. Which is what backed up what Paul Pierce had said after he got run. Mm-hmm. He got, I got sick of talking about LeBron. So they force you, and Shaq is in a similar situation, they force you to go on the bigger market things. So you're not paying attention to Gobert. And to fully appreciate Gobert's value, you literally have to watch him virtually every game to see in that Cleveland game how his defense in those last couple of minutes was so dominant that he won the game for you. And it takes a lot of pressure off your offense knowing, well, we don't necessarily have to score. We don't have to outscore people to win because we've got this guy. And this guy can do so much defensively. But it's it's not statistically based necessarily unless you're doing extremely deep dives and only guys like Locke do that. They're called nerds. They're basketball nerds. And I don't mean that in a negative way. And I think even in Patrick Beverly's case, when you're playing in the league, there's a limit to how much you get to watch because you're playing and you're traveling. And the Jazz aren't on that many national broadcasts. And you're going to watch the big game of the night on the rare chance you have time. Yeah, I mean, you can buy the package look, and watch it yeah, on you computer can. if you want it. Yeah. But the Beverly's always popping off. He about is always popping so, I mean, off. That's just that who was he is. when he got that tea. I got a tea for talking. I've been talking for ten years. I was actually a pretty good comeback. <laughs> right. I'm right. always talking. Right. Yeah. Didn't was it was it uh, was it, it was last pretty, year or the year before? No, it must have been last year because he didn't he full push Chris Paul in the back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Paul's walking away, and he comes up and pushes him like that. I mean, so who, as you just said, who cares what what Beverly thinks? Because he's always got something to say. And good for him because he's a marginal player who's managed to blast in the league and draw attention to himself. Absolutely. And he's been able to grind out a good career. (laughs) And he's got to play on the edge and play with that fire because he's not beating you because he's, you know, 6'10 and more athletic than anybody else. Yeah, he's not Kobe by any stretch. No, no. He's a smaller guy. Right. He's got to be out there and be feisty and get after it. But the only way uh, Gobert's value is going to be watched, or appreciated, I should say. Is to watch is, it routinely. Yeah, Like like we all do. Yeah. Like our fans, our listeners do. Well, the fans part, of the team, like we do, the media. Part of Beverly's deal was, you know, as an elite defensive player outmatched up with different people on the perimeter, and he's kind of roaming. Well, first off, that. that makes him a really good defender and helps his team win, so keep roaming, Rudy. But second off, he does get matched up. If you, It's like you said, you got to really watch games and look for it, but he does get matched up with guys in the perimeter. Everybody here remembers, and there's no chance that most of the league remembers. But everybody here remembers he got matched up with Doncic with the game on the line a couple of years ago. And Doncic blew by him, and Rudy spun and followed him to the hoop and blocked the shot to save the game with time running out. He does get matched one-on-one. Now, he doesn't get matched up one-on-one with Doncic, you know, 10 straight possessions. No, and I agree with you 100%. The thing about that my comeback to Beverly is, okay, you're assigned Steph Curry, and you can affect Steph Curry's game. Good, good, good on you for doing that. Gobert can affect 
everybody's game defensively, not just one player. You're assigned to guard player fill-in-the-blank, the best offensive player, perimeter guy on the other team. And that's I don't marginalize that assignment. Gobert can literally defend everyone because it doesn't matter if you're a perimeter player or who you are, you're looking to take it to the basket. Ultimately, the goal is to get it in the basket, and the closer you are to the basket, the percentages are going to increase. Well, that's where Gobert is. He is the ultimate basket defender, and he can move. He's got ability to move from side to side, front and back, and so forth. So he And, and his strides can get allow him to block a shot if you have a half a step or a full step ahead of you. So I didn't think that that was necessarily a good argument on Beverly's behalf because the first thing I thought, well, okay, yeah, you're guarding one guy. Gobert's guarding everything. He's guarding the whole area. And that's why so few people get there. And not only that, and that's all true, but on top of that, every Jazz perimeter defender is defends the three better because they know they got Gobert behind him. You're not as worried. You don't want to get beat. You want to stay in front of your guy, but you can really close out on a three-point shooter because if that three-point shooter pump fakes and drives, he's going to Rudy. So he's a huge weapon. But, I I mean, they talked about it on the broadcast, but that's fine. I mean, it's like you used to say this when you were a beat writer. Like, well, you go down there and find a story every day. (laughs) You know, you got to write about something. So when somebody hands you a fresh quote, Taking a I run got, with oh, it. Oh, yeah, I don't There's have a problem with so that. There's so many. I mean, they got, no, they got yeah, they got 82, 82 regular season games plus some preseason and some Oh, playoffs. zero problem with yeah. them highlighting so, that uh, Travis somebody and, in Minnesota said yeah, something. Travis Fine. and Bowler and Holly and, uh, no and Big T. I mean, if Patrick Beverly's going to hand him a storyline, taking a run with of it. Of course, and it was the night before. Yeah. Literally. Literally the night before. So I've got no problem with them doing that. I, I just think that... Playing o- Embiid is going to get you fired up. Absolutely. He's, they, a, he's a really good player. They've had good battles, and they get judged versus each other for all NBA teams yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. You, If you don't get up for Embiid, what are you doing in the NBA? Because you want to go against the best players. That's Joe's, Joe's on with us at 9.30 this morning. Joe's talked about the allure of when you're another league. Hey, can I get a little better? Can I make it there? You know that's where the best players are. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually think for the for – the, uh, for the Jazz in their position that they're in right now, they've got to come up with uh, some mind games along the way. Like the big thing now with Washington is 4-0 on the trip. Yep. And the reality is if you go 3-1, and one, it's, you know, it's, nothing's going to be lost except a singular game to Washington. Washington's a decent team this year. But you've got to play mind games uh, to keep yeah, yourself right, right. focused. So 4-0. 4-0 no, no road trip. 4-0 no yeah. road trip, man. That's what it's all about. 4-0 no road trip. A- any road trip that uh, – a, a four-game a four road trip – Comprises a week, usually, if not a little longer. And an undefeated week, an yeah. undefeated road trip. Yeah. It's a good thing. Right. You feel good about yourself on that So tomorrow, right they're going to pump up, finish off this road trip 4-0. and zero. Yeah, I get it. Absolutely. They should. Because you, it's like if, and if you ever drove cross-country, I have a few times, and if you just sit there and go, oh my gosh, I've got uh, you know 97 hours in the car. It's like... You know, had the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. You know what I mean? Is that, is that the phrase? Is it an elephant? It is. Uh, yeah. So when you're met, we're on a long road trip, okay, what's the next city? You know, how long until then? And maybe I'll stop and 
go to the bathroom and get a Coke and, and uh, some M&Ms or something. You know what I mean? Just stuff to help you get through. Or I'll listen to this CD and it's- Get a, a podcast. It's an hour long and, and that, that'll get me, if I've got a nine hour trip, you know, I'll be that much closer. So you play these games with yourself, at least I do when I'm on these trips and they get into mind numbing situations. And that's what these guys got with all these games, it tends to be mind numbing, traveling from city to city. So now you got an opportunity to be 4-0 on this road trip. Not not that any of these teams that you beat, uh, you're going to see them in the finals because they're all other conference teams, I guess, except for Minnesota, obviously. But still, 4-0 is a great road trip. And you've got a great road record, interestingly enough. Home is where the problems have been. Yeah. The road, you can't complain about the way things are going on the road. Which I think that was just coincidental to a little bit of a team slump, that the fact that those games were at home, I think if they played like that on the road against those same teams, they would probably lose those games too. 9-4 and four at home, 9-3 and three on the road right now. And two of those three losses came the same weekend because Miami and Orlando got them back-to-back one Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess Orlando would be the road the road loss the Jazz really regret. How did that happen? Orlando is not good. No, they're not. They they were hot that day and Cole Anthony and got some got some stuff going on and it it's going to happen. They're they're going to have more uh, probably at least 5 losses coming this season. Uh, and I didn't see that. That's that's so called a bad loss. But there's so many games that bad losses for this team really won't occur until the postseason if they should occur at all. Losing at Chicago and Miami, no loss is acceptable. Eighty-two and zero, but mm, realistically, Chicago's really good. Miami's good. Those are decent ball clubs, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the lost Orlando is the road loss that jumps out. Uh, I get it, but you know, so what? Hey, if you're winning seventy-five percent of your road games, you're in a good spot. I don't know that they'll do that. But I don't know that they won't do right. that. that. That's where they are right now. And the only teams that can say that are the Jazz and the Nets, who lead the East. And then Golden State and Phoenix are a little better. 7-2 and two for Phoenix they on the road and 9-2 and two for the Suns on the road. The great thing about the Jazz is that, so last night watching a game, you see, okay, Philly makes a little bit of a run. And then it reminds me of, of a different version. I watched a ton of Laker ball in the 80s. Everybody knows that. And I was covering the Clippers, and I did a lot of Lakers sidebars in the postseason and all that stuff. And so, you know, it was really where I was at. In fact, at that, at that point in my life, NBA hoop was by far my favorite sport, right, during that time, because I was immersed into it. And Showtime, they used to just blitz you. They get to, and we've all seen it, get the ball. Cooper, Worthy, Magic, and it's just like a big old wave coming at you, man. And you better get out of the way or you're going to be crushed. And they'd score in bunches. And so the Sixers make a little bit of a run. And then I think it cut it down to like five or something. And then the Jazz, boom, two three-pointers. So they don't do that. In fact, I don't think anybody does it to the level of Showtime, the fast-breaking. But their ability to score in bunches is the point I'm making. And so they hit two three-pointers. And you get a you get a stop in between, and a five point deficit, or a margin I should say, or a deficit for the other team. All of a sudden, now it's eleven, because they have that ability so quickly to come down, and get a great opportunity from three, and then make it. And they've got any given time three or four guys that can make a three if they're open, and nobody bats an eyelash. 
and that that's somewhat demoralizing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you work hard to get the cut the deficit to five. Yeah. And then two possessions, it's right back up to 11. And I think in both these last two wins, Minnesota and Philly, they have demoralized the opponent in the third quarter with exactly that run you're talking about. Uh, Locke will probably say this. He'll be on with us at 9 o'clock, and he will probably talk about how the Jazz offensive ratings is just off the charts. It leads to Quinn's point that these runs are not a product of their offense, that they routinely score on three possessions out of four or four out of five. If they're going to go on a run, it comes down to how do they defend. Because otherwise, yeah, you scored 12 points on five possessions because you're hitting threes and you're unstoppable, but it's not really a run because it's 12 to 9 because you're not getting stops. If you just get stops, the Jazz are going to score on so many possessions that those runs are going to come, and they're going to come often because offensively, they are really set up to succeed. Yeah, they got so many ways to get you. You take something away, they just score a different way. They score with a different player. They score at the rim. They score at the free throw line. They hit you with the three. They score in transition. They're really hard to stop. And Locke's got, he was running three. If you were listening last night at the end of the game, he and Booner talk, and, and then they bring in Tim Lacombe and Jake, and they talk, and they were just rattling through the offensive ratings. And the Jazz offensively are just crushing it. So it just comes down to do you get stops? And against Philly, you give up 22 points in the second quarter, 22 in the third, 20 in the fourth. Jazz aren't losing when they're defending like that. they got way too many offensively uh, talented guys to get beat when they're defending like that. So it really comes down to get a few stops, you're probably going on a run because you're scoring most of the time. Yeah, and that's very impressive that they, that they can do that. And that is why Quinn has been turning every postgame question about offense into an answer about defense. Yeah, for about six or seven it's years almost now. To the point, of it's monotonous. Yeah, DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone, the Pac-12 commissioner is shaking it up. You know, there's a way to do things, PK, and as far as he's concerned, it's apparently the wrong way. So we'll get to that next. Stay with us. It's the fifth annual Black Friday sale. It's been extended through December. Davis Vision, tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save fourteen hundred bucks. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. So George Klyavkov, ready for the alliance, ready to start scheduling Big Ten games. Quote, when it comes to going from nine to eight conference games to be able to play one game against one of the other alliance partners, we're ready to do that now, Klyavkov said. I'm not saying the Big Ten should do that now. That's their decision. They have to make the decision about when that's right for them to do that. But the moment after they can get there, we're playing 12 games the following season. Ready to lose a conference game? Lose some conference, uh, I don't know, it would be rivalries. Not, not rivalry in the sense of your uh, in-state rival, but certainly playing teams more frequently makes stuff more interesting, juicier. I don't know that you'll ever get to that because you could just rotate. I think the idea is, rather than juicy, is to have attractive matchups in September. Yeah, and they've talked about even scheduling them off as pairs into October. Whatever. And not piling them all up at the start of the season. So Whatever. I mean, that... More of the Oregon, Ohio States, or Utah and ASU against Michigan and Michigan State? Yeah, whatever it might be. What they've got to do is just give the automatic bids, and then away you go. So it's not a question of 
well, if I lose one, like Oregon was in this position, ultimately it didn't matter, although it did matter a couple years back when Herbert was a senior, you lose a non-conference matchup that you're willing to go, what was it, Auburn that year? And the Ducks are willing to go way across the country, as far as you can go, west to east, lose a close game, and then the next to last game of the season in conference play, they lose a close one on a 75-yard bomb on a third and 16. And now they're out. It seems stupid. Yeah. You're out. You're, you're, you're 10-2. and two, And you're And you out. lost two close games. Yeah. On the road. One might have been a neutral site, but it's still on the road for you. And it's way in the eastern time zone. And then you go down to Tempe in the penultimate game of the season, and you lose uh, an NFL kid, gets behind your secondary, and makes a great catch. And now you're out. That's the margin is too narrow there. That that shouldn't be because if you would have played Chico State instead of whoever it was Auburn, I think you win that game, and then you could sustain the loss to the Sun Devils because then you come back. And two weeks later, you beat a pretty good Utah team, and you really beat them up good. And you'll win the Rose Bowl. That Oregon that season two years ago was a playoff caliber team, but they never got the chance in, in some regard because of scheduling. And the Pac-12, as we've stated a million times, it literally so far since they've gone to the 12 is impossible to go nine and zero. It literally is. It's a. It, it's not an arguable fact. No team has done it. Like the Utes got two years ago, they lose to SC, a bunch of NFL receivers, proven NFL receivers now. These guys are either in the NFL or going to be in the NFL, right? And I think they all are in the NFL, actually, off of that team a couple years ago. And they, Fink comes in, puts a couple balls up for grabs, and they catch them. And so, and then the Utes have a fumble at the goal line as they're going in for a score, and then they lose the game. All right, that happens. No team goes undefeated. And then this year, Oregon State got them in a, in a weird game, a bunch of weird plays. It happens. And you're, I mean, it, Alabama, it happened to them. Right? It happened to them. A&M got them. Yeah. Ohio State, I mean, they're probably, now they didn't win the league. But they're thinking, well, if we hadn't played Oregon early in the year, brought in somebody you know mediocre we could have beaten, we'd be 11-1, and we might have gotten it. Might have, spot. but they didn't win the league, and that, that, so that, that's... But would they have taken 11-1 Ohio State, or would they have taken... Cincinnati. Cincinnati. You're, you're the one who's told me it's a TV show, and yeah, Ohio State's going to get better you. ratings. I got you. And I'd like to think they would have taken Cincinnati, but I'm not 100% sure. Neither am I. And Ohio State didn't have the league title. So there is that. No, but that's just because two other, I mean, they two teams that nobody else beat except one beat the other. Well, I guess Michigan had the loss to Michigan well, State. Well, it goes back to are they going to get rid of divisions here and just have the two best teams in the league play? Because they could have easily had a rematch, turned around and had a rematch of that game. Yeah, but at the same time, that rematch wouldn't have mattered in terms of more than one Big Ten team getting in. Because Michigan already had the Michigan State loss. Yeah. It would have been a more, a little more Big Twelve-ish, where you get rematches and suddenly everybody's got a second loss and right, you knock yourself right, out. Right, that's yeah. what I'm saying. So I think they only would have got one, but I think they need to put in the automatic thing. And then I guess you know maybe maybe you just brought up a point that I hadn't thought of then because then about the uh, at large bids, 
is that going to hurt you? Because as you said, so Ohio State loses that game. They don't win the league. Michigan goes on and who they kick crap out of Iowa. Was that what it was? Um, or they turn around and play Ohio State again and it's a real close loss. And now you got two losses, but really because you played a tough non-conference game that somebody got you, you got three losses. So now you're out. So really, are we going to – did we just move the base bag – the bag – Back, Back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And so did we just create new I think, problems? I think the other thing that's happening here is that as attendance drops, and it's dropping at a lot of stadiums. I mean, we can make fun of any one or two schools you want, but I think a lot of people are battling attendance issues. A lot of stadiums have been downsized. You and I have both been told of all the stadiums have been downsized in the Pac-12. They need good games. I mean, even Nick Saban in Alabama – you need good games and brand name opponents if you want people to buy season tickets. And so, if you're the Pac-12 and you're rotating through Big Ten teams, now, Klavkov will do it, and maybe that's one of the reasons it's an easier decision for them. Does the Big Ten feel that way? Are there enough Pac-12 teams coming in that are like, okay, that'll, that'll help us sell some tickets? There are definitely some Big Ten teams that need help with that. Ohio State and uh, Michigan don't. I don't know that it does. If I'm Utah and Indiana's coming in, I mean, if Ohio State's coming in, great, I got it. Uh, but and maybe you can even go to Penn State and Michigan State. Yeah. I would be interested in those games, I think, but I don't know if Joe Blow fan is. There's five brand names that are really good. Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State, and I think Wisconsin. Those five brand Wisconsin's names are already good. good. for sure. Right. Now, is Iowa, you know, maybe depending on the year, Nebraska used to be, but they're not now. And if, but see, the bottom of the league, like Colorado and Arizona, don't want any part of playing those top five brand names. They got enough problems trying to get to six wins. They're like, yeah, hand well, me, hand me Indiana. Okay, or, but maybe you can do it because they will accordingly. Exactly, and Klavkov is saying, "Hey, we're gonna, we're not going to schedule these games twelve years out and rotate through all the opponents. We're going to wait, and in January right. or February, what we're going to figure it was out. Insane to do that. Yeah, right. Insane was the word he used. He said, "We're going to figure out in January and February what are the games that are going to put butts in seats and eyeballs in front of TVs." And at the other end of the league, you two are both struggling. We'll give you a shot to win a game here. And, that, and that's forward thinking. I mean, these ideas of scheduling these games in twenty thirty five. What are we doing? It just seems so silly. Yeah. What are we I doing? Mean, and, and, and the people who schedule them will be long gone in most cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's the point? So yeah, forget all that. Don't do that. Get through all that, and then set things up. Why not? You can do it in the winter. I mean. Ultimately, Tom Homo proved to everyone, you can schedule. I can games. do it on Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> it may not be ideal. It wasn't, uh, <laughs> but, but that, can. That was you unusual. Can. But you're not going to do that anyway. Everything yeah. about that year yeah. was unusual. But yeah. the point is to leave one blank date in the schedule, and say, okay, here's where we're going to plug games in. This hey, is what well, makes you sense. Certainly, do it in the winter before. Yep, and that's plenty of time to to get things going. So just. Do that because you've got eight games slotted in, and you probably have ten games slotted in, if not eleven games slotted in. Because I don't know that they're going to do more than one. For a lot of schools, well, a lot of schools will do one, and that will be it. There might be. I don't want to see two Big Ten teams. Do you? 
Well, I guess it depends on who they are. But I was about to say, in the case of Utah, they're only going to do one. I think they only should do I think, one. I think that you're only going to do 10 Power 5 games. So I suspect they only do one. That gives them a chance to play BYU as a 10th game. Or anybody else. I mean, Florida is the example coming up here. If you get a chance to schedule an SEC team. I mean, ultimately, they might want to bring in an ACC team. You don't, I'm open to bringing in one more. I would hope that most of the time it's BYU. They're going to be a Big 12 opponent, so it's going to be a Power 5 game, and away we go. Oh, yeah, no, that'll have excellent ratings. Right. So they've talked about this 8 plus 1 plus 1 model. I mean, Notre Dame and Stanford, it's, well, Stanford does try to play 12 Power 5s. I don't know what they're doing. But uh, they're, Stanford and, and USC are going to play Notre Dame, so they're already going to have that on the books. And there are other games that are scheduled for the next decade that you're just going to hold on to. ASU, I think, has scheduled some Big 12 teams out there, haven't they? I think they got Oklahoma State next year. Yeah. You're going to hold on to those kind of games. They're, they're perfectly good enough. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, <clears throat> they need to look at all these types of things. But I think the first thing I would do is get this stupid playoff set. And it doesn't seem like you're moving mountains here. They've got four plans. And, like, every league seems to want, there's like two or three leagues behind every plan, and they also want to veto one plan. So everybody knows they need to go to 12, but who's going to oh, give just on? Being stubborn. Yes, agreed. Agreed. It's bugging me. Is it going to be six, six um, the top six league champs, or is it going to be the five power fives plus one? Which nine years out of 10 is going to be the exact same thing, but they're arguing over it. Your sport now has emerged to levels probably not thought possible. And here we are. And you've got the NIL. So stick the student-athlete crap. That's out the window. If, if Johnny wants to get a degree, Great. good for Johnny. But if Johnny doesn't want to get a degree, yeah, yeah, well, some, yeah. Some, okay. but, and Joe Fan doesn't care if Johnny wants to get a degree or not. That's up to Johnny. Uh, but if, you, if Johnny scores touchdowns, I love Johnny. Uh, and, and it's this isn't about academics. It, that's up to the individuals. You've been given a great opportunity to get this education. Now it's up to you to take advantage of it. And th- this whole thing, they don't get anything, has always boggled my mind. They're the same people who want to run up stu- oh, student-athlete, oh, but they don't get anything. Well, you get the education, so the benefit comes later. I don't. When I was going to college... I wasn't drawing a salary from a newspaper or a radio station. That was going to come. That understood, you know, right now, like being a doctor, I'm not going to be making all this money. That's coming down the line. That's where the payoff comes down the line. But now that they're making money in the immediacy, we can treat it a little more business-like. Because we certainly are with the men who are making outrageous amounts of money so, and these players have this opportunity here. And so let's treat the sport as if it were professional. And I know that makes it a little queasy, but nevertheless, that's what they've got because it's massive amounts of money. So treat it as such. And what is the way that the public is going to want it? And make it even grow even more to think how massive it is. It can grow even more. And then just go with that. And then it's ridiculous, though, to think that some 60-year-old, his mood and his life and everything is going to be determined by an 18-year-old. But that's where we're at. (laughs) I think it's ridiculous, and I refuse to get into that. But I'm glad you do. Not speaking to you personally. I'm speaking to you out there because that makes me money. And so I'm glad you do, and I'm glad you're fired up, and I'm glad I saw so many of you one week ago today, and your lives were made all that much better. 
Well, hopefully a lot of those people who were down there in Vegas, it's about doing stuff with friends and family. I mean, we were talking to... Uh, it's going to the Rose Bowl, man. To Chris Hill. Yeah, he's going to the Rose Bowl, and it's extended Their family. They've got burgeoning swells in your chest of pride because your team is going to the Rose Bowl. These kids here, uh, some of them are literal teenagers, are making you feel like you've got a big dog. You know yeah. those people who've got a big dog? Somehow that that makes their self-esteem better because they've got a big dog. I see it. I see it when I take the dog up to the walk up by Albion. Some some guys who think their dog is the meanest, toughest dog, and somehow that makes you a tougher man. That makes you a loser. Is what it makes you <laughs> <laughs> the biggest dog in the biggest truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at me, man. And some people think that way. Like we had Brian Taylor on during golf. And he started to trash tell me, oh, well, you went to that, and your team's a middling school. Brian, so you went to the U, so you're a better human being because they had a better football program? Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> I never got into or that Or in the stuff. case of Fresno State and UCSB, you got a worse life. Well, <laughs> <laughs> State school. And then you, then you, see, you see people yeah. brawling. Yeah, I know. Out of control. <laughs> I just saw, and now there's all sorts of videos. You see it everywhere. I just saw last night. So oh, you're g- talking about the fans, not the teams. I was oh, talking oh, about I'm the talking, teams. I'm talking about. Oh the yeah, teams. you see Santa Barbara Long Beach. State. I'm talking about the fans. Oh uh, yeah, that turned into an all-encompassing. That was not good. And <laughs> I just saw one when uh, Ohio State fans were leaving uh, the big house because the game was at the big house this year, right? And these these fans are giving them the. Uh, Booing him, giving him crap. And these two guys walking up the aisle with flipping double birds. Not necessary. It's a football <laughs> game. <laughs> I can remember here at Rice Eccles when Washington came in at the end of the season and uh, they had that punt return. Of course, there was 18 blocks in the back, as Ute fans will tell you. Was it Pettis? Went mm-hmm. down the right side and scored or put the team in scoring position, whatever it was. And then the Utes had the opportunity to come back, and uh, the Troy Williams led them, but they didn't get in the end zone. And the DBs uh, in the end zone were celebrating. And I remember turning, and I'm on the Utes sideline, and I turn and look to, that would be the northeast corner, and I saw a bunch of grown men coming down the aisle to flip off the Washington kids. This, this just doesn't make sense to me, man. <laughs> next time we have Scotty G on, next time we have Scotty G on, we have to ask him, what is it about the tunnel at the Spectrum? We got multiple photos of multiple people headed up that tunnel all hot. There was that New Mexico State player with the bird. Now, I don't think he did the, the bird, but St. Mary's coast was certainly fired up, waving at people going up the tunnel. Oh, Randy Bennett Randy loves Bennett. to have some fun. Yeah, yeah, he was headed up that tunnel. He was on fire. Well, okay, but then the fans are giving you crap. Too. They are, absolutely. So it goes both ways. 100%. All right, DJ and PK, coming up next, question of the day. The first Saturday since September, no local college football. How will you survive? Got some good answers. We will get to them next. Then it's David Locke at 9 o'clock and Joe Ingles at 930, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is Unrivaled. 
guys are doing a hell of a job. We have with us Evan Dudley, the UAB beat writer. Anything you feel about the game? Who's going to win it? First thought, I'd probably have to go with BYU. Obviously, they had a great season. Uh, you know, better Pac-12 record than half the Pac-12. They beat the <laughs> Pac-12 champion, you know, head-to-head. But I think BYU, uh, probably the better talented, better team. But UAB is also a team that gets the most out of its players. They're going to play physically, and they're going to try to give themselves a chance there in the second half against a really good team. That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 at the next Utah Jazz game where there are free Papa Shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. Question of the morning. First Saturday since September without local college football is here. How will you survive? Just put on Taylor Swift songs. Jim says... There'll finally be enough snow to go skiing and not feel like I'm missing something. Ski day. You going skiing? Nope. Why not? Tore my ACL, jacked up my left oh. knee when I was in my 20s. Didn't, you're not wasn't, in your 20s. I know. Easier to get hurt, harder to <laughs> rehab. Never got good at skiing because I didn't live in an area with skiing I? until I was 30. It's me so too. I just stayed away from it. It's expensive. I'm not good at it, and I might hurt myself. I'm out. <laughs> you might hurt yourself. Yep. <laughs> that's the way you live your life. What What can you do that's worth it that's not going to hurt yourself, potentially? Say that again. What can you do that's fun, that is 100% risk-free to where you may not hurt yourself? Golf. That's not true. Oh, okay. Well, then it's a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> My dad has watched the guy's knee get blown up. Well, yeah. then that's a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah. Yeah. No, the odds of getting hurt playing basketball went up, so I stopped playing. And eventually, you just get old enough, and that's not a good idea anymore. Which sure, is too bad because I really enjoyed it. You wouldn't do it in your thirties. Yeah, I did. I played basketball in my thirties. I'm talking about skiing, not basketball. Right, right. But coming back from the injury, I knew how to play basketball. I was good enough at that. At skiing, disaster. That was a disaster because <laughs> you didn't do it enough. You were a exactly. disaster in golf too. Exactly. But you did it enough. Now but you're not I'm a not disaster. Hurt myself learning to golf, probably. The couple of times I did tweak my knee, I'm in physical therapy and, and talk to them and they're like, ah, it's busy here. And they're like, dude, it's ski season. <laughs> ski season's awesome for business. Yeah. I get it. it things are a, a risk. Right. Water so, skiing. Same thing. But you got to take risks in life to have fun. I'm well, not maybe telling I don't you know go I, repel Maybe mountains. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I would water ski. I would take a shot at that. Get up there. Yeah. yeah. You got a boat. You got access to a boat. Uh, do I do? You can rent one like oh, that, okay, get yeah. out of town, the kind of dough you're bringing. <laughs> the cabbage you bring home, I know what you're making. You cabbage? bring home a hell of a lot of cabbage. cabbage. Yes, yes. That's an old school Jersey line right, right. there. Right. Hey, Yach, anybody down there at uh, Mountain View High using, uh, using cabbage for money? We did not use cabbage back in the day. I have heard it recently, though, from some Oh, it's coming back. Yeah. It's making a comeback. Cabbage no, is good. a thing now. Right. Garrett says, what am I going to do? The Jazz. The Jazz are playing Saturday. Saturday night? Yeah. It's until like 6 five. o'clock. Five? five? Five o'clock, yeah. Yeah, college football it was giving you triple headers, quadruple headers. Right. I mean, you had the game starting at 10, and then I always I couldn't wait for uh, game days, the heart-wrenching story. 
Okay. That Wojciechowski would do. Slept right through it. <laughs> oh, and the and the tender music, and then they would just go straight to break. Yeah, yeah. The the one time they like it was like Lloyd Cole's brother's in law's cousin's nephew. They had re- to reach to really find. Did I say Lloyd Cole? I meant Lloyd Carr. Yeah, he said Lloyd. Uh, Cole. I say Lloyd Cole. Lloyd Carr like, of Lloyd? Michigan. <laughs> they really had to stretch to find somebody to die. Yeah. <laughs> they love the tearjerker. <laughs> That's always my favorite segment. And now we look, we watch it. I, I want to see uh, Kamala Howard. Listen to him uh, cr- cackle, and then we cringe a little bit with Lee Corso. Thinking, eh, should they take him off? Is it time? We go through that every week. Get it out, Lee. Come on, Lee. You can do it. Herb Street's there with his hand on his back. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. And no matter what he says now, great point, coach! (laughs) It's so condescending. I know, but Kirk loves Lee. And he's sitting there rooting for him. Like, come on. Come on, Lee. But they've been on the road together forever. I get it. Yeah, you know. And he can't give it up. He's like 86 years old. Is he 86 now? Something like that. Oh, wow. And he doesn't want to quit. I get hell. I'm going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> One foot on each side of the door. Scotty trying to pull you out the door. Come on, PK. It's time to go. But the rest of us were always cringing. Uh, how embarrassing is it going to be with uh, Lee Corso? And then Desmond Howard. All he does is cackle. And pick Michigan. And just no matter what's said. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the offense is going to run reverse today. <laughs> Okay, but the show bugs you that much. Just stop watching. It doesn't bug me. <laughs> you don't like you don't like the tearjerker feature. I love You're it. You're cringing for Lee, and Desmond's irritating you with his laugh. Who said that, that? That's I didn't say any of that was irritating. I just noticed what it was. I go to the gym every Saturday morning. I got the thing on the radio with the serious uh, thing, so I plug it in. You ever watch Listen. the Fox pregame? Or I after have. they lost to Urban, did it dial it back for you a little bit? Urban was very good at TV. He's very good at TV. His stupid isn't bad. I just don't think he's as good as Urban. I would agree with that. If I got a lot of Pac-12 guys if there, if I'm so home it's, and they show Pac-12 stuff, or so. I'm on the road. Point yeah. being, if I got the TV in front of me, I can flick back and forth. But on your phone, once you lock in on it, one, you're it, gonna lock in on yeah, one. Yeah, and when you're yeah. exercising. So yes, I've definitely watched that yeah. show. It's fine. Yeah, they're fine. They don't have the idea. I haven't been identifiable of the Desmond Howard cackle. The emotional death story, and how much do we cringe about Lee Corso because he's getting way old? I think they got more Pac-12 content, and that's why I thought you might be into it. Not a lot more, but I think they got more. Too much SC, man. They do have a lot of SC. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. There's no point in arguing that. Two USC guys and a Notre Dame guy. <laughs> uh, Jay Hurtado at Jay Ute Fan says, I've got tickets to see West Side Story with Ad P.K. Kinahan. You're going to see a show. He's going to be singing and dancing. Yeah, he just made that up. I don't know who that person is. Who cares, says, uh, I'm watching LeBron and the Lakers circus. <laughs> Will that entertain you all year? Or once you know they're out of it, which is still only 26 well, what, what games. What does out of it mean? I think it probably means something different to everybody. Out of championship contention, out of contention for top four, unlikely to win a first-round series. Yeah. If and they drop down into playing territory again. If they again, get into the postseason and I see LeBron lose four, I'm not counting them out. Right now, they're tied for six, but they're tied for six and seven, so they're almost into that playing territory right now. I understand that, but I just wonder how much of LeBron is like, guys, don't worry about it. 
<laughs> I'll turn it on. I mean, he just had a triple-double the game before last, so uh might even have one last night because I, I think I saw something. He's He's got the record for most triple-doubles or some whatever, whatever, if that means anything to you. I think Westbrook made that stat sort of, because eh, you're putting up those triple-doubles, but your team wasn't winning. It's about winning. Pro, pro sports is about winning. It isn't about stats to me. It's about winning. It's what is what is your value to winning. And guys, you need guys at all different levels to contribute value to winning. Royce O'Neal has a value to winning, but he's never going to be recognized as any great player. But that doesn't matter on this team. They need him to win ball games. So at the pro sports level, to me, it's all about winning. And I just wonder if LeBron's just holding back a little bit, figuring we just need to get in. I don't know this. Maybe it, maybe it's not, and maybe they're just not good enough. But yeah, I, st- I think I'm leaning more towards the not good enough. Okay, but I still think he's very dangerous. He likes to win. Nobody likes to lose, and he is very dangerous. But they're four and three in their last seven, and that's that's got to bug him. It's so like sure. you said about that loss last night. You play in Memphis, who's a little over five hundred. They're missing their star player. There's no John Morant. They're going back to back. Inexcusable. Yeah, I get it. It was an inexcusable loss. It was on the road, though, wasn't it? It was at Memphis. Yeah, so... It was that case where you're in town waiting for them, and they come in playing back-to-back, and they win 108-95. And they don't have Morant. Come on. Yeah. You should win that game. And they didn't come close. And that Bane, that Bane kid, he's going to be the Bane of my existence. As a bouquet versus Bane. I don't like that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke's coming up next. He hates the freaking Lakers, so he'll probably have something to say about that. And we'll talk about the Jazz with another dominating road win. That's next. Joe Ingles at 930. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in David Locke, Jazz radio voice. He is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. And David has joined us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. David, good morning. I hear the weather there is delightful. Uh, we're getting more snow, and we got uh, snow on uh, on the plaza outside the arena. So I'd assume up on the mountain where you like to ski, they're doing great. You're, you're missing... You're missing 24 inches, Yach says. So that's about time. We needed it. And it is a guarantee now if the Jazz are traveling again. If anybody needs to know when to schedule their ski day, find the Utah Jazz being out of town and you can guarantee a good snowstorm. Powder days always correspond to Locke's travel schedule. Huh? I don't think if they get to finals, we're going to have a good snowstorm. You know, the way they're playing right now, we can start talking about it. So the Jazz handle the Sixers, blow the game open in the third quarter again, like they did in Minnesota. Watching the games, I don't see a whole lot to complain about. It seems like the bigger question is how long, I mean, it's such a grind, guys get hurt, travel wears guys down, guys get sick, whatever, or guys just lose their focus. They, I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, they get bored with the winning, lose their focus, and they aren't quite as dialed in as the Jazz are right now. Is the biggest question now how long can they stay this dialed in? No, I think they still, I mean, what's really special about, yes, so yes in one sense, but I think it's still the same quest that Quinn has kind of defined for these guys, which to your point of being dialed in is a really hard ask for them. And that is like, let's be ready at game 70 and 75. Like everything is about getting better at game 70 and 75. And there were two plays this trip that jumped out to me of that. And 
both of them were cases where, without getting into boring specifics, the other team changed their defense out of no out of what they regularly do into something dramatically different. And in both circumstances, the Jazz reacted perfectly and got a wide open look. I don't actually even know if they made either shot, but it was such a clear sign of, you know, okay, so you've been defending us this way all day and you try to surprise us. The minute our guys have now played together enough, understand it well enough, coach, smart enough that they recognized it uh, perfectly. And actually, maybe most importantly, both times Donovan had the ball. And so you're seeing his maturation of making reads and recognizing what's going on. They're, they're, they're sharp right now, particularly offensively. So with them being as sharp as they've been offensively, as you say, is there any defense that can stop them beyond them missing shots? Yeah, I mean, I think so last night there were some components that you would have thought would have worked and they didn't. Um, Golden State's going to be able to switch it one through five with really good defenders. Um, Boston switched it one through five without Jalen Brown didn't have quite as good defenders in this little run. Um, um, who's the number two defense in the league? We probably just played them. We've played like all top five defenses recently and throttled all. That's what you said last week as you were previewing yeah. this trip. Um, I mean, it's really incredible. And if you get into it, Boston switched. Um, what was our first stop? Cleveland played kind of a drop, but just a really long overshifted defense. Minnesota trapped the ball, and then Embiid plays pure drop. They only switch about 11% of their pick, so they switch almost none. Um, they only switch by accident. And so you have played four entirely different defenses, and they've gotten all of them. The one that jumps out to me the most, PK, to this to your question, is the first half against Minnesota. If you go look you know, if you go to if somebody wants to do this at home, you go to NBAStats.com and then go to the box score at NBAStats.com and you can filter out and just look at the first half. And we shoot like 44% overall. We're like we take we do take 30 of our 47 shots as threes, which is kind of the key here. Um, we we only go 11 of 30 from three. We have two offensive rebounds. We have like four free throw attempts. We're doing absolutely nothing remarkable at all, other than we only turned it over five times. So that was it. the only thing, two things we did that were remarkable is we didn't turn it over, and we took a huge amount of threes. Our shot distribution was incredible. On that, with that half of basketball, if we did that for the entire year, we'd have the number one offense in the league. It's kind of crazy. So that's us doing absolutely nothing special, but solely based on our shot distribution right now, being so elite that we were the number one offense. We were in the number one offense in the league. Like I, I, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but I haven't checked it this morning. But as of you know, one o'clock last night when we got in, I believe we're four and a half points better than any other offense in the NBA right now per hundred possessions, and that's the same difference. One to two is two to fifteen, and we're. Nearly 9.6, I think we're 9.6 points above league average since that's been kept, which is, you know, I think since 03 is where the data goes back. Um, I don't think anyone's ever been 9.6 points above average. No one's ever been 10. Uh, and we're heading toward it. It's pretty remarkable right now. Tomorrow's a task is they take away the three. They're, they play as analytically smart as we do, so that'll be, that'll be interesting to see whether we can have that same advantage. So PK and I were getting into the evolution of the game, and I think to the bigger point, there's some truth to it, 
but you're probably more dialed in as far as has it been achieved yet? Has it been achieved by anybody? Or is it something that is maybe within the grasp but not quite there yet? You know, Jerry Sloan wanted all the shots right on top of the rim. That guy wanted layups and dunks, and he'd do all kinds of stuff to create layups and dunks. The game evolves. The coaches still want layups and dunks, but they also want a lot of threes. And so you're trying to force people to shoot the intermediate two. And Chris Paul has gotten spectacularly good at that. Have, is he or anybody else we were talking about, well, Donovan's gotten pretty good at the two, have they gotten to the point where they make enough of those to offset, you know, they don't make as many as they're going to make layups and dunks, but they make so many of them, it offsets the need to have a three because obviously you get the extra point for the three. Has anybody gotten that efficient on a mid-range shot that it's at the point where, hey, this is making sense. You can do a lot of winning with this. Uh, we're getting close on the floater right now. So here's, I'm reading Seth Partnow's book. It's called Mid-Range Theory, if anyone's interested in it. I strongly suggest it. It's a really good kind of history of the analytics and where we are with it. It's really, really, really good. And it's funny. Like, it's well done. Um, and I'm, I, I'm going to actually finish it. Like, I never finish these kind of books. So it's, uh, it's not a totally dry read. He makes a really interesting point about what the, the three has done. And he actually has data to back it up. So what the three has done is eliminated the bad shooter from playing in the mid-range. Well, we've generally eliminated bad shooters. But the only players now playing in the mid-range are Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, George. Like, if you look at our shots, like Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, and, and Jordan Clarkson will take some mid-range shots, Boyan a little bit. They're, they're really high-level shooters. You don't see Royce O'Neal taking a mid-range shot anymore. You don't see – you shouldn't see Seibel taking a mid-range shot anymore. You did a few times last night because we had them pretty flustered. But that's what's actually happened. The evolution of the game is if you go look at the high-usage players, they're taking the same amount of mid-range shots as they ever did. And what's, what instead is happening is that the not-very-good players aren't taking them anymore. And then what Partnow's point is that's really interesting is because you've got such a – everyone putting such a demand on the rim and everyone putting such a demand outside the arc, you're giving the best players in the world more room than ever before mm-hmm. in the mid-range to play. Like if you think back about Hornacek or Stockton or Jeff Malone coming around those curls or old jazz days, like Jeff Malone, there was no room in there to take that shot. Now – you come around, you got room because everyone's hugging to the corner three shooters and watching the rim. And so that's, so they've actually eliminated the bad shooters and given the best shooters more room. Um, so that's the first thing onto what you're saying. The Houston Rockets, who are surprising everyone by winning right now, are winning because they have the optimum shot distribution that can be created in the NBA. I worked on this about four years ago and built a model in the summer about what was the optimum shot distribution for a team based on the history of kind of where shots have been in the league. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Not in the summer. Come on. I did. Come on. Uh, um, And it's 40% of your shots at the rim, 40% of your shots at three, and 20% of your shots as non-restricted area twos. Um, Ideally, you'd love to be 45, 45, 10, but that's not realistic. There's just a certain amount of shots that are going to happen in the mid-range. And so then the game is... So first thing, Houston's doing it. Last night we came close. Last night I think we were 39-41-20. Like we were pretty perfect last night. As a whole, we're, what, what has happened 
Sorry, there's a lot of information here, so feel free to interrupt me if you've like rolled back in your eyes or if, when David's done with his Danish. Um, the the league can defenses can take away the rim, offenses dictate how many threes are taken. So it's become a little bit more. Thirty five percent of your shots to the rim, forty five percent of your shots as three is now optimum because it's just too hard to get forty percent of your shots to the rim. But Houston's actually doing it, which is really interesting. Um, I have another thought or three on this, but I'll stop. <laughs> You lost us when you said you you came up with some system in the summer. Should, shouldn't you go golfing? You got a kid who's a good golfer, man. Cats in the cradle. They're going to head off to college. You know you've sent one off to college. Come on, David. Let's golf. So we've played 18 holes. I've gone on a two-hour mountain bike ride. There's still hours left in the day. Yeah, and this guy doesn't sleep much. <laughs> that, there is the, the not sleeping thing. That i got to factor in. I slept through my alarm today. So, therefore, I got seven and a half hours of sleep. It was great. Well, that explains it. <laughs> a Conley back-to-back, man. I thought that was forbidden, but now we're seeing it. So, PK, this is super interesting. This is because of Trent Forrest. Go ahead and explain. So, the Jazz are sneaking Trent Forrest into games for somewhere between three and, like, seven minutes every night. And to some extent, it seems irrelevant, Right. But it's really keeping Mike Conley down to somewhere between 26 and 31 minutes a night, depending on the night. And that's making Mike feel less fatigued and more comfortable playing back-to-backs than he was when he was playing 33 or 34 minutes a night. It's a really interesting move by the coaching staff. We just see that little substitution. You don't think much of it, but when Trent Forrest suddenly plays three minutes in each half, Mike Conley just went from 32 to 26 minutes, and then he plays back-to-backs. What did he play last night? I think he's gone 24 and 25 in this back-to-back. I was just looking right. it up. I mean, that's you, – you, you, you've got to be able – if you're playing 24 minutes, you really got to be able to play the next night. Like, and there's all sorts of studies that show the taxes when you – you know, when you cross over the 30-plus minute mark, 32, 33-minute mark, that's when you're really taxing your body. So then we expect that going forward, I guess. I would think so. I mean – um, and I think there was probably as much as it was health and later in the year, just knowing Mike as, as I've gotten to know him, I don't think he liked the separation of him from the rest of the team. Sure. Mike's not a demonstrative leader in any way. Like if you actually want to give a, him a criticism, it's just, he's too nice and too quiet. Like, you know, you'd like him to probably be a little bit more of a demonstrative leader. It's just not who he is. It's he wouldn't be known as the nicest guy in the league that way. And, I don't think he liked the fact that he was somehow being separated from the rest of the team. Yeah, I would think he didn't like it on multiple levels. Getting treated like you're different and you're special or getting treated like you're old and fragile, I can see. And and plus, Jeff Hornacek said, I like playing basketball. Playing basketball is a lot more fun than watching basketball. He says, my favorite minutes in the game are not when I'm sitting on the bench. Favorite minutes in the game when I'm out there. So if you know you're going into a day and you're not going to play and everybody else is, I think there's multiple reasons for him not to like that. Jeff Warner's like so interesting. We all have these little stories from talking and spending time with Jeff, and we were all so fortunate to do it. I remember I went to dinner with Jeff in Denver, and we were talking about the end of his career, and he shared with me that, and I was like, you know, did you reti- why did you retire? And he's like, you know, I really retired because I used to drive to the arena every night. And, like, as I got closer, I'd get a little nervous and stuff. Like, all right, I've got to be good tonight. Got to be good tonight. You know, thinking if I wasn't good, we were going to lose. And 
Then later in my career, I would just drive to the arena and be like, well, we'll see. Like, is, you know, I wasn't playing enough to impact the game. It, it really makes me admire Rudy Gay. Because, first of all, he's like, go look at our numbers since Rudy Gay started playing. It's really fairly astronomical. Um, I mean, th- those are the ones. Like, if you want to go get giddy as a jazz fan right now, start looking at us since Rudy Gay started playing. Like, it's, it's pretty nutty. Like, oh, like maybe this is the piece. Um, I mean, frankly, we should have, if we had not won two reviews, we'd have won 11 straight, right? 12 straight? 12 well, straight. 9 and 2 when he plays, and it's a 98 97 loss to the Pelicans and the 119 118 loss, two one point losses, Pelicans and Grizzlies. Right. Bo- both of them, which we had won, but we won a review <laughs> that'll re- like literally, like the review came out in our quote favor, quotes around that, that then gave the other team a chance to win. Donovan hit the three, the game was over. And then the uh, and then the Rudy had the rebound. The game was over, or Royce had the rebound. The game was over. In both of them, games were over. No reviews. Both games over. We won eleven in a row. We have not lost since Rudy Gay started playing. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's not subtle. Like Eric Pascal's fine. He's worked his ass off and he plays hard and it's great. But Rudy Gay's really good. There were two plays last night where we ran the old traditional horn set, which. We suddenly ran it to Rudy Gay and a quick pick by Rudy Gobert, and Rudy Gay's now coming around the corner on a right-hand dribble to the rack. I I don't know how you guard that. Like we can get in. The, you got a forty percent corner three shooter in each corner. Mike Conley enters it to the right elbow to Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay, you set up. Uh, Rudy Gobert comes over, sets a quick pick. Rudy Gay turns the corner. Like your big can't drop that low. If your big drops, Rudy's on the inside of the guy you just set the pick on. You switch it, Rudy's on the inside of the guy. You just, Rudy Gobert's on the inside of the guy you just set the pick on. Like, I don't know how you guard that. Like, I think that will be a go-to play. We see time. It was so gorgeous last night that I can't imagine Quinn Snyder just doesn't become enamored with that set. Like, there's, I don't know how you guard that. It really reminds me a little bit of the old DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin pick and roll the Clippers used to run at the top there. And it was unguardable. So will Quinn just lay off of that because he doesn't want people to have a chance to figure it out? While you've been talking, uh, ESPN's running a segment here, and I can see in the graphic, has the NFL figured out Lamar Jackson? You know, the more people get a chance, you give smart people more film and a chance to break it down, they might figure something out. So they might. But I actually had a really interesting dinner on this trip in which I asked – some of our coaches, like, if they had to prepare shoot-around against us, what would they do? And it was really interesting how little you can actually touch. Now, in a playoff series, that's a little different, right? Now you can really dig in. But in just a game-to-game sequence, the Jazz are going to run Rudy Gay off a Horns pick three times in a night. Like, we're going to run Donovan Mitchell off a Rudy Gobert pick 17 times. And we're going to run Mike Conley off a Rudy Gobert pick 12 times. And we're going to pin down for Boyan about eight times. You're going to worry about those three plays. And the amount of other things we can do offensively that you don't have time to prepare for, it's pretty astronomical. David, we got to leave it right there because Joe Ingles is coming up next. Oh, yeah, then you got to go. Because I wanted to ask you, like, does it feel like you're watching one of the great offenses of all time? Uh, No. Because the stats say we are, which is, it doesn't, um, I think just your bias that you feel like you have to have LeBron, Michael Jordan, Kobe, you know, someone like that to have the greatest offense of all time. 
But the stats say we're watching one of the great offenses of all time. We will bring that up with you another week, and we will continue watching. Okay, tell Joe I say hi. I will. See ya. Joe Ingles is coming up next. There's David Locke on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Stay with us for Joe. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for the $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. Utah Jazz coming off another good win. They beat the Sixers in Philadelphia. Beat them decisively. Win by 22. Once again, the game was over in the middle of the fourth quarter. Once again, they blew them out in the third quarter. The winning streak keeps getting better. They're still chasing the Suns and the Warriors in the standings. We'll see if those guys slip up. Both sitting on four losses. The Jazz sitting on seven. But it's a six-game win streak now uh, for the Jazz. Do. Milwaukee was the four seed last year. And got her done. Don't be bothering me with freaking stupid details that don't matter. It's a problem. You bother me a lot with freaking stupid details that don't matter. It's part of the magic of the show. I'm going to have to keep doing it. I've had it. People like when you get irritated with me. Well, welcome to Tuesday. <laughs> it's Friday, dude. I know. I'm using a point. <laughs> okay. Any day of the week, pick one. I knew you wouldn't get it. I didn't. Freaking Marshall idiot. Falk University. There's a lot of things I don't get. That was your. That was a bad moment for you. <laughs> Just one in a long line. <laughs> Not even the worst bad moment. What was the worst bad moment? Uh probably probably Debbie. Yeah, probably Debbie. Debbie, that was, okay. that was bad. Although the ultra big flag was not a great moment either. So ah. those are like one and one A. Real tides gay, huh? DJ and PK, it's ninety seven <laughs> five at twelve eighty the zone. It's time right now to bring in Joe Ingles. Sweet. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe, and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic. <laughs> And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Ben. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome back Joe Ingles. Ooh. Joe, good morning. And, Hi. And hey, thank Joe. you. How are you, Joe? <laughs> what are you thanking me for? Just being Joe. I've asked you many times, hey, could you play a good game before you come on? Because it's always more fun to have you on after a win than after a loss. <laughs> and not just you, but the entire group. You've gone beyond playing well. I feel like the last two games especially have been clinics. And I wonder if... Uh, the coaches, not Quinn, but the entire staff, are as complimentary as a lot of the fans have been, as a lot of the media has been, because uh, you really handled business in these last two games on the road. I mean, Cleveland, you had to grind it out and win, but these last two, you just ending games in the third quarter. Yeah, um, uh, I wouldn't say they're like. I mean, obviously, every, the the vibe is 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 good. Um, I wouldn't say. We ever probably as a team or staff or obviously the kind of close people around us that are around us daily ever get too high or, or, or too low. Um, that's the part of this business, and I mean we're going to play another game this year, and the Twitter world's going to think the 
the world is ending and that we're all going to disappear off the face of the earth or something because we, we didn't play a good game. So for, for us, it's very easy to um, kind of just stay the course and obviously we're, we're happy with what we've been building and getting better and better um, and, and figuring out some things. Um, but we've obviously we've got a day off today in, in DC, but then obviously another another tough one tomorrow. Is a, a week on the road, is that about your limit? Oh, it sucks, man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> oh, man. Um, obviously, the um, start of the trip, I think we we kind of well, we debated whether we go we either come home or not after Cleveland, but obviously the the, the time of the flight, the flight time, and and all that isn't isn't really smart to do that, especially going into a back to back. So we had a day in Cleveland, and then we had a day in Minnesota, and then we played. Um, they're, they're the ones that if we just played every second day, it, it's more when you can. If we're busy on the road, it's it's yeah. fine because there's. There's games, there's travel, there's games, there's travel. When you have two days, and then we've we've got today off as well, um, or some optional stuff um, at lunchtime today. So there, the, it's just like it's eleven o'clock or whatever now. Eleven thirty. I've got eight hours, nine, ten hours to waste <laughs> until I can go to bed, and then I've got all day tomorrow to waste, and then I've still got to play the game. And so it's been a, it has been a long trip, but. Um, it is what it is, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a schedule. Yeah, I was in Vegas last week for four days for Utah University. Utah played in the Pac-12 title yeah. game. So I was down there for lost, four days. Uh, I lost a bet on that. Okay. I didn't mean to bet against Utah, but the other person <laughs> wanted Utah, and I really just wanted to bet. So. <laughs> well, I couldn't wait yeah. to get home, man. Gamble responsible. Four days, and it was all I could take. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's different. And obviously with kids at home and our nanny's actually gone back to Australia for a little bit to, for Christmas and stuff so Renee's by herself and I'm just like oh man it'll be nasty but tomorrow night tomorrow night yeah so PK go ahead and tell him the cookie story because Joe comes on and entertains us week <laughs> after week year after year Joe's gonna find this story Absolutely. hilarious Oh, if Joe it's probably to do with the cookie. It has to do with George as well. <laughs> he may have gone inside. I don't know. So I'm in Vegas. I'm staying at the Palms Hotel, and right across the street was a sign that said "Cookies." And the day of the game was Friday, Friday night, and so Friday around two, we had to be outside and drive over. And it was a really nice day. It was like 70 degrees. I thought I'll just walk around, and I see the cookie shop. I'd been looking at it for four days, and uh, I'll go in and get a cookie. And <laughs> you're gonna love this job. So I approach the uh, place, the front door, and I see two guys ahead of me, and they got their pants sagging and all that. And the guy comes out, security guy comes out, and he's got one of those wands that you would use use like at airport security, and he has yeah. them open their arms and spread their legs, and he's going up and down. And then he's got to then they got to show their IDs, and I'm thinking. All this for a cookie? <laughs> Man, what is going on here? I thought, wait sure a second. You're not that old and naive. I, I was on this time. <laughs> well, right, not more than 15 yards to the left, a separate building said marijuana dispensary, right? And so it was right there. And I'm thinking, I 
just want a chocolate chip cookie, man. I don't want to get wasted. And so I call it up on my phone, and I think, do I really want to go in? And then I see all the products have marijuana in them. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go in. I got to go to work, man. I can't be getting... So did you get a cookie? No, I did not get a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you get a cookie? Because they had marijuana in them, Joe, and I was on assignment for work, and I didn't think it was appropriate. And plus, for four days in the hotel, I had smelled marijuana as if I was at a Grateful Dead concert or something the entire time. I, If I had to pass a drug test on Friday night, I don't think I could have from all the secondhand smoke of the marijuana smoke. Man, Vegas, get me out of there. So did you get a cookie in there? I did, did not get a freaking cookie, Joe. I went and got no, a no, six-pack no, of, uh, of what's... what's a, no, but he's asking, did you go to another place oh, and oh. get the cookie? Another place. You, no, I went to the dispensary the and said, what the hell? <laughs> no, I did not get a cookie. <laughs> At this point, we had to leave for the stadium, and I thought, oh, I'll just get food there. So I was going to say, trust me. If, if if the media room or whatever is anything like our media room, I'm sure you could have got a cookie there. Right. At that point, it was getting close time. to go. I just went outside because it was a nice day, and I thought I'd walk around, and I thought I'd get a cookie, not uh, get a bong. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, you calling a game or something would have been hilarious, though, if you did get a cookie. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> So, PK doesn't call a lot of games, but he called one. You want to get the drop ready? I want to tell Joe the story, though, before we do this. So, next time you're talking to Kevin Durant, you got some downtime. We're very curious if Kevin remembers this. So, he gets drafted, and the summer league is at Salt Lake Community College. And the fact he's going to play his first game there. 19 years old, yeah. Yeah. The fact he's going to play his first game out of the University of Texas there, summer night in Utah, big deal, place is, is packed. Uh, Locke doesn't call summer league games. They have me do the play-by-play, and PK's doing the color. So there's one second on the shot clock. Durant's team has the ball inbounds underneath the basket. He's right in front of us, right by the Jazz bench, right in front of us beyond the three-point line. They throw the ball to him. It's super high. He stretches out his entire seven-foot frame. He catches it. He's not not seven-foot. Okay, his entire 6'11 and one-quarter inch frame. Catches it, in one motion shoots it. Banks it off the rim as the buzzer goes off. It goes around the rim, around the rim, off the glass a second time and in. And PK erupts, and, and Durant hears him as he backpedals. He turns and smiles at PK because it was a cool shot. Here's what PK yells that crack Kevin Durant up. <laughs> I've seen it all. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Come on, man. <laughs> that's, that's why you've never got another game. <laughs> I thought my I was an excellent color commentator there. Get out of town, oh, Thurl Bailey. I've seen it all. <laughs> why didn't uh, was Locke too cool to do it back then? He, I think so. Yeah. I, I don't think he had been hired yet. Oh, think, was it not Locke at was, that point? No, I think he was, was making the transition from Seattle to Salt uh, okay. Lake. So, so Hot Rod was still doing the game when we were filling in for Hot Rod? Because he would take off. Yeah, yeah, he would go. He wouldn't be yeah, here we in were the summer. For, we were filling in for Hot Rod. And, and Locke, was, Locke was about a month away from being hired. So he wasn't with uh, us just okay. yet. 
back in, this would have been in 2007. Yeah. But anyways, Kevin Durant, definitely, I, I guarantee you 100%, he heard PK and it cracked him up. He turned and smiled at PK. Yeah, like, the shot is online. You can see it. Oh, yeah. The shot's spectacular. Yeah, I'm going to have a look at it after this. Yeah, you got eight hours to kill, so what the heck, right? I've got a lot of hours. <laughs> so when you own a team in Australia, Joe, bring me down and I'll do color commentation. Or commentary. No, I'm good. <laughs> I'll get my kids to do it at home. Oh, there you go. Nepotism. That works. Yeah, well, that's, that's the best way to break in. That's a good idea. Keep the business in the family, you know? Absolutely. I saw you had a thing. Uh, I saw Exum was picked up by a Spanish team, and he's only 20. Spanish team. Are you serious? Well, Barcelona. Okay, fine. The biggest. I go. I, I get, but he's Come only on 26 years old. <laughs> He was a rookie. You two were rookies. Doesn't it seem like 20 years ago? It does seem like a long, <laughs> long. Um, my life has dramatically changed yes. since the time I first got there, um, as as probably his has too. But, um, yeah, I came to Utah as a young, oh, an old, young, 27-year-old and um, – Got engaged right after that, and then got married, and had three kids. So it's been a, it's been a big eight years for me. Right, I mean, exactly. You got more hair in your ears now than you do on your head. I was actually talking about it the other day, like <laughs> not, yeah, not he, the fact that I've got more in my ears, but <laughs> um, like looking at photos. But I was, it was actually uh, Alex Jensen. That's who I was, like looking at photos, like the year or two before having kids, and then. The year, like the years now, with after having kids, it's it's ridiculous. But I mean, I started looking after Dante back then as well. So, so he was um, a kid. <laughs> but it is. I mean, he's he called me as soon as he got the offer. Obviously, I played there before, and um, I actually played with the coach, who's the coach now, um, and the GM. I played with as well. So um, some pretty tight connections there. Um, but they're really happy for him. He's got a good opportunity. Um, obviously, at the end of the day for him, I think it was about playing. He wanted to go and play somewhere and actually get some minutes and, and play and, and show that he's healthy and he's he's good to go. And hopefully that, that will get him back over here. But um, a pretty good opportunity with a, a massive club. So I, I, it might have been Rudy, but I think it was Hassan Whiteside who was talking about getting to know guys when they come to a team. And, you know, you get eight hours downtime on the road to Killam City. You yeah. get a chance to know guys, plane flights and all that. And uh, and so they have the opinion that you're not a great guy, and then they meet you and you're a great guy. What leaf do you turn over to completely flip another human being's impression of you? <laughs> I mean, I don't do anything different. Um, <laughs> you're just nicer to your I, teammates. We talked about I talked about it on JJ's podcast the other day too. It's just like um, I think he said it. It was like I'm almost like being put in that category of like everybody like because I legitimately think there's some players that like legitimately don't like me, which is pretty funny. Um, but I, you almost get put in this category of like one of, the, one of those guys like they your teammates love to play with you, but everybody else hates you. Like it's that, it's like you're the enemy to everyone else. But then if you ever play with them, um, every, like Jeff Green texted me after he saw the quote thing in the pod, about the podcast on JJ's and was like, it's hilarious because legitimately like you're one of the best guys as a teammate, but 
<laughs> if you play against you, everybody hates you because you just, uh, I don't know why. And, and it doesn't really bother me, but it's, uh, it's pretty funny to be funny in that way. I mean, Hassan said it when he first got here. I was one of his most hated players in the NBA. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, he used to hate. He always said that I would, obviously, like, talking to him and I would get him with a ball fake layup and I'd run back down the court, like, laughing at him and whatever would happen. But he, he legitimately was like, yeah, you're one of my, like, most hated. He, he, quote, he said it to the media. I, mm-hmm. I only yeah. saw it... Um, after he had said it that actually publicly, he didn't originally just walk in the locker room and tell me he hated me. Um, <laughs> but we talked about it after the the media when he said it, and he was like, "Yeah, I just, I just thought you, uh, I just probably words I can't use." Yeah, I got you. We know, the, we know the um, word. <laughs> but I was like, "That's crazy." And then he was like, and "Same thing." Like now he loves me, and now he wants me to play as many pick and rolls as I can to give him the ball. So um, yeah, it's it's funny how. I mean, it's like any, it's like anything really, or, or any role in the NBA. You kind of get a lot of the times, kind of get put in a box of like, this is what you can do or, or yeah. can't do. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, same as as a teammate. <laughs> well, there you obviously have played against way more guys than you've played with. Have you yeah. found any of those dudes that you've played with that maybe you didn't know or didn't like before they became your teammates? Um, that's a good question. Who have I played with? I've played with a lot. I've actually played with a lot of guys. Those first few years of the Jazz, we went through. We went through a lot of people. Um, probably not. I probably not like players that I I didn't like, but um, probably more like just people that I, I didn't like, again. I didn't know, and, and you playing against them you, you kind of like something might happen on the court and you're like yeah what, what did he do that for that's bizarre or like why did he say that or whatever the situation is and then again obviously you get them as teammates but um, I wouldn't say I didn't I didn't like people or or, or anything like that because I again I'm not going to like hate someone just because I play against them and they score on me or something like it's, <laughs> it's just ri- ridiculous but yeah. uh, I think just like, like Jeff Green's a good one, just in terms of like not knowing him. One JC's another good one, like not knowing them at all, never speaking to them, never. And then they walk in a locker room, and you like instantly connect with them, and you get along really well, and same interests or whatever. And you've got kids, whatever the connections are, um, and they're two that are obvious because I'm, I'm pretty close with both of them. Um, but yeah, you just go through this thing of like. I, I talked about it with Renee a little bit of like, obviously for me, like I, we walk into Utah, even my first year, I don't know one person on the team except Dante at the at the time. Um, but I walk in a locker room and I've automatically got 15 friends. Like I've automatically got friends there. Um, she walks in and has like <laughs> no friends and she's trying to figure out this. We're living in a new country and and all this. And then every year I just get these like new friends come in. Like couple, I lose a couple and I... Yeah. And I gain a few more, so it's um, it's fun. You meet so many people, and I mean, I'm catching up with a friend here in DC now who I I played with in in Spain last night. One of my Maccabi Tel Aviv teammates lives lives in Philly, and I got to see him. Um, so you get to meet some pretty cool people along the way in this this basketball thing. 
Well, Joe, we appreciate the time. You go find the video of Kevin Durant's uh, amazing I'm shot. Right and, and I think you'll actually, I, I'm not sure if the camera stays with him long enough, where he looks to his left. He does grin. Yeah, and he's, he's looking at Because he knew it was a hell of a shot and a hell of a call. It really was a hell of a shot. And a hell of a call. And you cracked him up. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was a hell of a shot. And a hell of a call. <laughs> and, a hell of a ba- and a hell of a bad call. Oh, I see it all! <laughs> and he hadn't had any cookies either, so there's that. <laughs> I knew oh, you'd like that God. story. All right, Joe, we appreciate it as yeah, always. Guys. We'll talk to you again another yeah, week. Nice. All right. The Joe Ingles Show right here weekly on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, DJ and PK coming up. We've got your feedback on the way. Everything you thought about today's show. And a reminder, we're brought to you in part by Bill Bar. Whether it's double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, cherry barcia, or salted caramel, enjoy Bill Bar. 100% real chocolate, 100% real delicious. Order yours today at Built.com and save 10% off your order using the promo code ZONE at checkout. That's Built Bar. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. This week's Raider Chief game brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. We had Lincoln Kennedy on this morning, 730. If you missed it, you can get our whole show wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify. You can get the interview itself. It's up there, too. And the interview is right there, so you can get that. If you missed Chris Hill this week... Uh, he was really good if you're a Ute fan and you've been a Ute fan for a long time. You got into the history of coaching hires and how those worked and raising money for the stadium and everything that went into the Joe Glenn if <coughs> Urban didn't yeah, take it. Yeah, Joe Glenn. Three Powder and a, rubber and letter rip or something. Powder buck, what he used to say. He used to come Powder on Powder River Letter Buck. He used to come on our show a lot yeah. when he was uh, Wyoming back when they were all in the Mountain West. He and Kyle would have had a different relationship. <laughs> hey, you got to be accountable, man. I heard him like Tuesday morning at 2 a.m. He said to his wife, we're going to beat the Utes. <laughs> Kyle in his younger days, a little feistier. A little feistier. <laughs> hey, just a little. You got outside to kick to make people accountable, so be it. In front of five students in the student union, we're going to win this week. <laughs> What's he supposed to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kyle gets a hold of it. Up what? 41 nothing. You know, <laughs> Dude, can you dial it back a little? <laughs> nope. And then Joe Joe flips him off. And then Joe gets asked about it. No, I don't no, know. I don't Dude, you're on TV. Uh-oh. <laughs> that was funny. Classic. All right. Time for the feedback. What are you going to do this week? There's no local college football. And Ben says, FCS playoffs. They're how college football should be. Okay, yeah. That's John L. Smith, man. Yeah, I'll take that job. Well, wait, I'm going to take off before I even coach there? Wait a second. That was at that level. It was. James Madison in Montana tonight. Triple header tomorrow. HD Cole says, it's going to take bacon to get me through this layoff. <laughs> <laughs> Amy's going skiing. Yeah, good for Amy. How will you survive? And your conscious at Ute Man G says, barely. I think I'll get to know my wife again. 
The Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the final race of the Formula One season, is this weekend. Sweet. Two leaders are tied. That's only happened once before, and that was in 1974. USU Blue Man at Big Blue Dart is all in. I went out to track on the west side, and and at one point I made a conscious decision that, you know, I can make some money. (laughs) (laughs) Dan Met is curling on. Yeah, so and and I, ever since then I've been a Formula One follower big time because I knew people were into it and I could make some money off of it. Sweet, good call by you. That's my manifesto. <laughs> Moc says the same way survived during Championship Weekend. We're going to watch other sports from home and continue continue to wish we were relevant. Hashtag meow. Oh, I see what he done. Yeah, he don't fool me. I didn't think he did. <laughs> think he fooled Jake? Which one? That Jake right there. Sitting next to you, Jake Scott? And sat down quietly. Oh, he's just, he's just like a, like a thief in the night. He's a jazz guy all the way, man. I mean, he's on top of the world as they continue to win. He's just worried about his pregame show tomorrow. Early game, though, you like that? Boom. Be home at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Oh man, seven o'clock, and I want to rock. Want to get a belly full of uh, ginger ale. Jake and Ben are coming up next. Have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday.